But you're probably wondering why I called you here. I have a, I have a very, very good reason. We've been called out. Oh. By, oh. by, the, by those undisputed lads. Who? Aren't they? Aren't they the guys on NXT? They've been. Uh, is Adam Cole's injured, right, Nathan? Adam Cole is injured, but Kyle O'Reilly's not injured, and that's all that's important. Editor. Yeah, yeah. No, no, guys, guys, no. The guys from the Undisputed Wrestling Podcast. I say again, who? Who the hell is that? You know, they, they do this podcast. Uh, they do wrestling quizzes. One of the guys on there thinks he can beat me in a wrestling quiz. <laughs> oh, oh man are the drugs like that much better in the uk or <laughs> oh quick let's yeah. tackle with itr yeah sometimes you need a good laugh you know <laughs> oh unlike when you're listening to those undisputed idiots am i right am i right yeah oh, yeah, oh right. wait High five! Just got a high five. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you're gonna kick, you're gonna kick their ass, right? That's pretty much what's gonna happen. Be better. Oh. God, I, I would I would never show my face in public again if I lost. Well, no need to worry. Adam Cole's injured, so they they don't have the numbers advantage on you. Yeah. <laughs> you're the Pat McAfee of wrestling quizzes. Do it for the brand, Scott. For the brand. Accusés d'un vol qu'ils n'ont pas commis, n'ayant aucun moyen d'en faire la preuve, ils fuient sans cesse devant leurs poursuivants. Pour subsister, ils emploient leurs compétences. Quand la loi ne peut plus rien pour vous, il vous reste un recours, un seul, l'agence tout risque. Every single one of you out there listening is absolutely ready because it is time once again for the Rogue Opinion Grapple Update. And of course, you know that that means that the A-Team is in full effect. All three members of the A-Team rolling up in a van, driving up to a house of terrors with zombies and Dexter Loomis and some weird ghost guy who was sitting in the passenger seat, but they made it look like he was driving. Anyway, I'm Jim. I'm here with Nathan and Scott. Guys, how's it going? Pretty Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty it's been good. A, been a hell of a few weeks, like you could say. <laughs> good God. It's been a hell of an experience. Uh, it's been quite the uh, the long week, long couple of weeks in wrestling. Uh, we're going to talk about Hell in a Cell, uh, AEW Dynamite, and of course, NXT Halloween Havoc. Woo, 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 woo. That's my best uh, howl. That I can do so I don't blow people's eardrums out because Shotzi Blackheart was fantastic on that show. For um, Zach Ryder was here for a second. <laughs> yes, he's the uh, he's the Long Island iced werewolf. <laughs> that quality you come to expect here from the A team, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so yeah, you guys just want to get straight into it. Yep, Let's ju- jump right in. Jump right in to the milk crate that is Hell in a Cell 2020 uh, live. Thunderdome, 
in the Amway Center, soon to be homeless, is WWE, uh, as we all know, um, because uh, lots of COVID, lots of COVID happening, allegedly. Anywho, <laughs> uh, on the pre-show, we had R-Truth versus Drew Gulak uh, for the 24-7 championship, went about five and a half minutes. Uh, R-Truth won, and now on to the main show. Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman taking on Jey Uso in a Hell in a Cell I Quit match for the WWE Universal Championship. This match went 11 days. But at the end of it, Roman Reigns, after crying his eyes out, put the guillotine choke on one Jimmy Uso, forcing Jey to quit for his brother. And now Jey and Jimmy are in indentured servitude uh, to the the Reigns family. I don't know, the, the... the Anawahi family. Anawahi family? I don't know. Is it like a longer, like a bigger thing now? Because Roman's at the head of the... Anyway, Nathan, I want to get your expert uh, analysis on the Hell in a Cell I Quit match for the Universal Championship. Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. This was excellent. Excellent storytelling. I'm not sure. It's not, it's not really a five-star kind of wrestling classic. But in terms of storytelling, it's one of the best things WWE has done in years. Uh, I love the way that Roman Reigns was kind of just talking us through everything about how he didn't want to be a bad guy, but Joe was forcing him to be a bad guy. Paul Heyman's vacant stare the entire time. He's like, what have I unleashed upon the world? Uh, <laughs> is what was just phenomenal. I like Jay so fighting kind of from the bottom, and now he's here uh, against <laughs> Roman Reigns. <laughs> And, it, and it's just great. This presentation of Roman Reigns is fantastic. It's everything that anyone wanted Hill Roman Reigns to be. Uh, the cell still looks weird when it's red, but I still kind of like it. And just what a match. Having uh, Jimmy Uso come down as well and get in the way of the stairs was a great touch. One of my favorite bits of com- commentary, because it makes no sense, uh, was from Corey Graves when the guillotine got put on Jimmy Uso. Uh, guillotine by the way which is obviously arm around the neck and Corey Graves when Jimmy Uso has just had knee surgery and now Roman Reigns has put him in a guillotine it's like how are those what exactly think... is the correlation yeah what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> like now both ends of his body hurt <laughs> really, really get it um the only that I wish I know Roman Reigns has said his music is going to change uh, but he's kind of wanting to change his character and kind of ebbs and flows. But I do wish they would get rid of the shield music just to kind of complete the present this presentation of the new Roman Reigns. Uh, I can't pretend I already knew who Afra and Seeker were uh, before this, but the commentators kind of filled us in nicely on who they were for the end bit. But what a start. Great story. This story has been kind of one of the best things going in WWE and it looks set to continue. So good start. Isn't Arthur Roman's dad? I think at least one of them is Roman's dad. Oh, cool! Oh, yeah, good for him. Yeah. He's had a very, he's yeah. had a very attractive child. Yeah, he made a hell of a son. I have which the is, teeth. <laughs> which is a hell of a constant because Arthur is not a good-looking man, even even in his youth. <laughs> so, so does that mean? by, I don't know, some sort of mathematical property that I don't exactly understand, that uh, Roman Reigns' mom is super hot? Possibly. I don't know. You might have, have it going on. It's like Stacey's mom. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's put Roman Reigns' mom. 
<laughs> Where this is this is Patricia Anuahi. Oh, that sounds like a white woman married into the uh, Samoan family there. <laughs> what Patricia, it says on here right? on, on familytron.com, which sounds legitimate, it oh, just says 100%. Patricia sure. is a great woman. <laughs> is there a picture? They've really done the research. Is a- there that. is a picture if you guys Google Roman Reigns' mum. We gotta do it for ourselves. Yeah. It does come up with a picture. Okay, so because this what is great fantastic reason. radio. Yeah, it's fantastic Roman radio. Reigns mom has got it going on. She's all I want and I've waited hey. so long. No. No. Jay Uso, can't you see that you're not? God, how slow is you guys' internet? Uh, I'm trying to find FamilyTron. I'm trying to use the same way that you're using here. No, I just I used mean, Google, but it just came up. FamilyTron was the first thing that came up. Well, it wasn't okay. the first one for me. All right, all right. I'm not exactly a hundred percent that Roman wasn't just created in a lab somewhere. Right, <laughs> right. Sometimes when two ugly people mate, they make something very beautiful. Is what we've discovered here. Two negatives equal a positive. Damn right. And Roman Reigns <laughs> and his storytelling was a big positive for the start of Hell in a Cell 2020. Listen to that fucking uh, transition. Fantastic. I love, oh, another bit I love was when he just like hit Jay and then he went, what am I going to tell my kids? <laughs> I was like, they're probably watching, Roman. It's PG. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Didn't exactly tell them to go to bed early so they didn't have to see their uncle get the shit kicked out of them. By their dad. By their dad. Yeah, like, I'd love to sit there and watch my dad beat the fuck out of somebody. I'd be up all night waiting for that match. Um, I remember Scott hearing that a lot where he's from. I remember <laughs> hearing the stipulation for the first time in the whole, like, if like, he didn't acknowledge them, then, like, he's, him, his children, and their children would all be out from the family. Just. Reminds me of the bit from Simpsons that you, your children, and your children's children for three months. <laughs> Won't somebody please think of the children? Um, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I, I thought this match was all right. Um, I have a problem just because, like, these are new. Like, with this whole, like, you, you mic up the ring and you, there's, like, a lot more talking and then there's, like, actual acting. And I thought Roman was doing a fantastic job. Um, Heyman just sort of being in the background is cool because it's like a different character for him this is definitely elevated jay uso i really i liked this a lot more than their last match uh for sure because now that i'm used to it uh sort of it sort of uh it sort of solidified that this is as good as it was i don't think it needed hell in a cell i think it just could have been an i quit match and it would have been the exact same match Mm. uh pretty much but overall i enjoyed it so um uh, now, uh, let's see. Since Jay quit, he and his brother Jimmy Uso have to take orders and acknowledge Reigns as the tribal chief or the Usos and their immediate families will be exiled from the Anawai family forever, according to Wikipedia. Um, oh, no possible adoption in the near future if Jay or Jimmy gets out of pocket. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the legality on this? It's island law. Ah, oh, it's island law. Okay. Well, they didn't explain that. It's, it's, it's just understood. Uh, okay, it's implied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so legally they're still part of the family, but they can't go to Christmas. 
No, no, no. They're still there as long as they continuously acknowledge Reigns as the tribal chief and take orders from from him. So if Jimmy Uso decides to be like, nah, dude, I don't want to go down to McDonald's and get everybody food. He could be like, fine, you're out of the family. And so so it's Naomi. (laughs) And so is Naomi and your kids and everything else. Um, This is going to get really murky because whichever one is married to Naomi, his kids aren't with Naomi and he's not married to their mum. So what's going on with that? Does it branch out? Because the other kids like, because they don't stay with him all the time. I don't know. This is messy. We need Jerry Springer. You put far more. You put far more thought into this at this stage in the storyline than I think they have. Because I don't think they were even thinking about Naomi, not just in terms of storyline, but just in general. <laughs> just in general, you don't think about her a lot. <laughs> oh no, WWE. <laughs> because like, when was the last time she was properly doing something? Well, uh, the one that isn't Montez Ford dressed up as her in that awful Skittles commercial. <laughs> uh those Skittles commercials are fantastic. Oh, come on. Uh, did you not see Montez Ford pop up in the little fucking corner, dresses the ultimate warrior with the paint? Thank you. <laughs> and apparently, the Skittles are the smoke. Okay? Well, I've, always, I've often been wondering what the hell is this smoke they're always on about. So, it's nice. I thought we were going to have to keep this to bloody key court, but I'm glad we had to... We didn't have to resort to that kind of thing. Well, see, Skittles, they used to say, taste the rainbow. Now it's just like, get the smoke. Woo. First off, also, when Ric Flair does that, like, head tilt when he's, like, working on the shit and he goes, woo! It's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, the, the, It's like Mick Foley with Mr. Socko. Everything they did in their careers, all the amazing moments, and one is known for a sock and the other is just known for going, woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, speaking of people who are just known for doing awful things instead of the cool things that they've done in their career, Jeff Hardy took on Elias. <laughs> hey, hey, um, Jimmy, you, you didn't come to me, by the way, for it. I thought I thought you said your your piece about how okay all right sorry let's clear the floor for the Scottish sensation Scott McLeod as he thank you as as he like you know in, entertains us with his thoughts on Hell in a Cell yeah because everybody who is not aware Jimmy has to acknowledge me as the Scottish sensation otherwise he's him his children his children <laughs> from rogue <Royal> opinions. <laughs> Oh, like also, Nathan, Carl, Rahul, he'll probably never have children, so he's okay. Oh, man! <laughs> Deep cut. Oh, is that, is that a race thing? No, it's just a Rahul thing. <laughs> ah, I get it. Burn. Um, real, Really but, quickly, though, I do have to acknowledge Scott. Just cut him off again. Paul Scott, <laughs> because he won, he finally won the quiz, and he is a uh, amazing detective slash genius. Because that is, of course, what we were playing for. Um, and uh, yes, now I'd love to hear your thoughts on the I Quit match. Well, I like Elias's entrance. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with a point you made earlier on about that. I've said it before that they didn't need the hell in a cell for this, especially given that like came in there anyway, like the officials and then Jimmy came in like the cell 
which is supposed to keep people out. And also given that one of the later Hell in a Cells had people leave the cell. So like this thing is meant to keep people out and just maybe between the two people involved. Now on this out of the three Hell in a Cells, sixty six and two third percent of the Hell in a Cells on this night had people either coming in and out of the cell just freely. And I think that does take further devalue the cell as a whole. But like this is like I think out of the all three cells, like this was be- definitely the best match for like a storytelling purpose because like it was very similar to Clash of Champions where Jay just like wouldn't quite wouldn't acknowledge Roman until he was forced to at the end, obviously with the what happened with, with Jimmy at the end. And I agree, like you take away the cell, I don't think anything about this match changes. And plus everybody coming down uh, to check on Jay and try and encourage him to quit, that would make a lot more sense because also, there's not maybe the cell that's meant to stop them. And also, uh, everybody on Twitter, when every, as soon as like Adam Pearce and everything came in, everybody was like, oh, God, they're going to do it again. They're going to have like a non-finish inside like, Hell in a Cell. And, but I do need to give Roman credit for his like ability to like cry on cue. That's like that's big show levels of being able to cry kind of on command, you know? That's what gets you roles in Oscar-nominated films like uh, Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> the Rock pulled down a helicopter with his bare hands and a chain. That movie's fantastic. Yeah. There's no CGI in that movie. None at all. Yeah. All nice. practical effects. Yeah. Pretty much. Do you now yeah. yield the rest of your time? Yes, yeah, I've said my piece. Thank you. So. The battle of the um, rock star and the former junkie as Elias took on Jeff Hardy and uh, Elias won by DQ because Jeff Hardy could not contain himself any longer. Mind you, I bring the junkie up, the junkie thing up because Elias brought it up in a promo. And if you were paying attention, that's all that WWE seems to be able to do with Jeff Hardy is go, he had a drinking problem. He had a drug problem. Dude's been hopping off ladders for 20 years. I'm surprised he's not shooting up during his entrance. Any hoozle. Um, Elias took on Jeff Hardy. This match was, eh, okay, I suppose. Um, did it do anything for, for you, Scott? Did it do literally anything for you at all? Not really. It, I just I just spent it like, wondering, like, how stupid is Elias that he still thinks Jeff ran him over? Like, I think we've made, it's become clear that Elias doesn't watch the product if he's not on it. Because like I think it was said that oh, somebody with red hair and a beard, and like I think it's they're trying to imply, oh, it was Seamus that ran you over. But I was expecting when they announced there was someone with red hair, I was, I'm still expecting Sami Zayn to be revealed as the person behind it, because obviously Elias and Jeff Hardy were part of the the tournament at the time. Declaring like a new IC champion, he was like, no, there shouldn't be this tournament. I'm the rightful Intercontinental Champion. But that's just I think they, I think they were just looking for a reason to bring Elias back, and they just say like. Ah, people won't care about this storyline, and we don't. I'm just waiting for the inevitable of the band segment between uh, Jeff Hardy's weird band and Elias's band, where Jeff, despite the fact he's now sober, is just continuously singing songs that he clearly wrote when he was off his tits. Like, no, I don't, I do not believe that he wrote a single one of the songs that he's written while sober. And if he has, then. No, he can't have. <laughs> no, then what? Don't back out. What will you I, do I if he wrote them sober? Like, then I think this is truly the day that music died. 
Jeff Hardy, if you're listening and you wrote any of those songs while sober, let us know with proof and Scott will get blinding drunk and write an album. <laughs> but see, I, I think that... if, I, if I wrote, if I got blinding drunk and wrote an album with the hand that I don't write with, I could still write a better album than what Jeff Hardy's got. Oh, I, think I, feel, I think I feel a new punishment brewing. Yeah, I feel um, it. <laughs> um... You have to get blind drunk every day until you finish writing and recording an album and then put it out. See, but see, the, I think the thing is, is that Elias had no time to watch the product because he was working on his follow-up EP, Universal Truth, that came out literally the night after Hell in a Cell. So he doesn't have time to sit down and wonder who hit him with a car because he's working on his recovery, he's working on his music, and he's going platinum. He's going platinum. Jeff Hardy just doesn't like that because the fucking magical telephone or whatever the fuck that poem is never got him an award or whatever. <laughs> Nathan, how much did you absolutely love or hate or not even think about the seven minute and 50 second match between Elias and Jeff Hardy? <laughs> I did not have it with Elias. Uh, his entrance was the best bit of the match, I think is what we're trying to really uh, skate past. But... I did like when we had a boy, he got hit by a car. Because it kind of made me sit there and go, oh, yeah, he got hit by a car. <laughs> and, <laughs> and no one no one cares. The match was was fine. If you've ever seen a Jeff Hardy match, it was exactly that. There was the bit where you thought he was going to jump off and do something dumb onto the apron, and then he didn't. Uh, and then he just hit him with the guitar. So it was kind of, it was what it was. I don't like the fact they keep bringing up that Jeff Hardy was a junkie, even though he was. Uh, like, just leave the guy alone. Let him do something else. He he, he can still put on a, a decent match, even though he's like seventy. Probably feels about he probably feels about seventy. Elias is cool, and Samoa uh, Joe on commentary. No, was Samoa Joe on commentary for this one? Yeah, it's a raw match. Yeah, it's a raw match. Yeah, it's a raw match now. Uh, is is the best. I do like the fact that it was. Was it during Jeff Hardy's entrance? One of them went to went to him oh do you remember when you brought up jeff hardy's problems why did you do that spojo when because there's so many to choose from <laughs> i mean with regards to the whole running someone over thing the only thing that can really save the storyline is if one day jeff was i found who really ran you over and out comes rikishi to tell him how he did it for the rock it is great that uh we've we just had rikishi's kids in the opener, and now we've got someone getting run over over in the second one. Like we need a dance off in the third match, and then we need the show to get released because it's too fat for the fourth match. Well, the third match did have someone who does the caterpillar, which is basically the same thing as the worm. It's just not as over. <laughs> well, what a show! This show was a very Rikishi centered, apparently. Yes, it's a very. If you look at each and every single one of these matches, you can definitely look at pieces of the the too cool act that um, found its way onto the entire show because uh, Bruce Pritchard is a huge too cool fan and just wanted to make everything that over. Um, We're all huge too cool fans. Banging it, banging it, banging it, banging it. That was interesting. <laughs> Turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what did you uh, think of the match? I honestly don't remember one fucking thing that happened in this match. I, I couldn't tell you. I could be watching the match right now 
on the network while we're talking, and I probably would be forgetting it as it's happening. It's it was a match. Oh, there was one when Elias went to do the electric chair into the powerball, and there was a second where it looked like it was going to fuck up, and I was like, oh god. Then he died, they just about saved it. Go back to music for a second. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Rikishi's song from WWE Originals. It was called Put a Little Ass on It. I'm yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's better than anything Jeff Hardy's written. <laughs> God, you really got it for Jeff Hardy. Go, we, we, need, we can't get all our shit music banter done now because we've got Dynamite later and Jericho's on it. Oh, that's <laughs> fair. We still have two more shows to do. Uh, so the uh, WWE Hates Friendship in this next match because the Money in the Bank contract was on the line. And Miz, with John Morrison, took on Otis, coming out with Tucker! And uh, unfortunately, because WWE hates friendship, Tucker ended up turning on Otis, uh, punching him in the face, and opening up the Miz to gain the Money in the Bank contract. Later on after this, uh, Tucker actually gave a really interesting promo where he talked about how he was taking the he was like the guy keeping them together because otis is nothing without him and of course as he's saying that otis comes into the back and him and tucker start beating the fuck out of one another and it looks like uh tucker uh and otis i'm sorry tucker and otis are now going to be on the same brand so they can continue this feud because ladies and gentlemen fucking heavy machinery has imploded and it is a new it is a new Fucking land that we live in here. Prepare for WrestleMania 37 next year, ladies and gentlemen. Otis versus Tucker one-on-one in front of 80,000 people if WWE can have it. Um, I'm going to go to Nathan first. Nathan, what did you think of The Miz versus Otis with Tucker on the outside and John Morrison, uh, John Morrison out there acting like he's still in slow motion and his wind, the wind is blowing his hair? <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> Through the entrance where John Morrison does a slow motion bit. Uh, I didn't care about heavy machinery because I was too busy looking at the Miz. Which oh I yeah, get... you finally got to see your boy. <laughs> finally got to see the Miz. It's been a long time since I've seen him because uh, I don't watch Raw. And John Morrison with no beard looks exactly like John Morrison did uh, in like 2002, which is annoying because you got Jeff Hardy who doesn't age, and you got John Morrison who doesn't age. But I don't care because the Miz came out. He had a weird coat thing that was like half of it was longer than the other half. That's always the best. He's got a stupid headband. Uh, he looks like every white guy that lives in California. And it was, it was the best. And I don't care about heavy machinery. Wow. Sounding sounding like one of the WWE Match of writers. The night. Match of the night. Whoa. Whoa. Scott. St- jump in here and give your opinions before Nathan digs himself a further hole. <laughs> well, I was slightly annoyed about this turn, not just because of what Tucky did, but... I'm sorry, who? Tucker. Yeah, there we go. But because my brother called it like 20 seconds before it happened. And my brother like threw out there randomly, like, imagine if Tucky like turned on and that's how the Miz wins. 20 seconds later, Tucky hits him with the briefcase and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. The like guy even thought the idea, I would even consider they would pick up, even though, like, they were technically weren't even a team anymore because those ladies got drafted and they haven't felt like a team in so long because all they care about is Otis. So, like, I know a lot of people will hate Tucker for what he did, but when you actually think about it, he is really justified in this because all everybody's scared of, even before this Mandy Roof storyline and winning the money in the bank, whenever you'd have a heavy machinery match, it was pretty much, it was like, oh, that was a good match, and 
the main thing they would say is, oh, oh, it did something funny or entertaining. It was really about Tucker. But I really hope that this that he doesn't end up like Shad or like Big Cass in terms of like the the one guy who turned on his partner and then went on to do nothing. Because I worry that's what Tucky what Tucker is going to do. Because like I remember you said, Jimmy, that like you're right, he wasn't actually going to do anything once he went to Raw, but clearly he's doing something. Yeah, and moving back to SmackDown. <laughs> Apparently it's not from what I've heard, but like I do hope that even after the Otis thing, which you'll probably lose, which he kind of has to, I really hope they have find more for him to do than just like have him just wander and like. Oh, I remember he used to be in heavy machinery. I... No, he's see... not going to do anything. There's n- he'll lose to Otis and then he'll just disappear. And that's I would the like... sad truth. I would like to see, because it's obvious that, uh, of course, Otis is going to win the feud or whatever, but I would love to see Take, like, revive Southern Justice. <laughs> and, like, he, has to, he ties his hair back, he wears a suit, but he's still a Southerner. You know what I mean? You got Jeff Jarrett in the company, he can come out, put his two fucking fingers in the air, be the manager and shit. Yeah. And be, he could be the new Tennessee Lee. Oh, he could. JBL was back. He's super oh, Southern. Law and Otis, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen Law and Otis, holy shit, go on their YouTube page, check it out, because I don't normally watch the weekly WWE programming, but I went out of my way to watch Law and, uh, Law and Otis, and it was, in a word, spectacular. Would you concur, Nathan? Yeah, it's pretty great, if you like seeing Ron Simmons shower people, and the Miz... <laughs> The misery had a John Morrison the black like thing. <laughs> so good. Well, I someone should have objected to Rey Mysterio's testimony because like how can he like justify like how it was my money in the bank when he wasn't even there at the time. He'd been thrown off a building at the time. Yeah, he was dead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He and Alistair Black were murdered minutes before uh Otis actually won Money in the Bank. He should have been arrested right then and there, thrown into a cell all by himself, and just gone away for eternity for lying under oath. Because you don't get to do that in this country that is so goddamn amazing. Um, Because we take our law seriously. And we never, never mind, I was going to get on a whole Supreme Court thing. But that's not the podcast for this, ladies and gentlemen, as we move on to what I consider match of the night. Sasha Banks taking on Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship inside Hell in a Cell. They go about 27 minutes. Uh, this was dope. Uh, this was just, it was everything you needed it to be and more. Um, they're never, ever, ever, ever going to be able to recreate the sort of magic that was the takeover match. But this was as close as you were going to get. And, um, yeah, I mean, I can't say enough great things about it. Sasha Banks holding the women's title now is going to be great because that means it's Survivor Series. We're going to get Asuka versus Sasha Banks one-on-one. And I am fucking here for that shit. Uh, In the words of uh, Effie at Effie's Big Gay Brunch, we don't give a shit about about what type of wrestling it is. As long as it's good, we are here for that shit. And uh, Nathan, I'm sure you were here for this shit too. As our resident current day SmackDown enthusiast, I'm sure you were um, 
waiting with bated breath for this women's championship match. So please exhale and feel your feelings for Sasha Banks versus Bailey. <sighs> yes, pretty great. Uh, the story has been awesome. The segment where Sasha made Bailey the contract was spectacular. Uh, the build has been going on. Uh, I, I don't know. A lot of people weren't born when this feud started about 78 years ago. Uh, <laughs> gone are the days of them doing the counseling. Remember when they went to counseling? That was yes. like three years ago. It really fucking was. It was a super long time ago. But it was completely... It wasn't worth it. That was terrible. But this match was still great. Uh, Bailey was awesome in this. Her making her little contraptions the entire time. Screaming at Michael Cole. Just throughout the match. Uh, the, the Sasha Banks in her offense. It was just all knees. Just knees in every direction. And... It was just, it was great. It was everything this needed to be. It should have main evented the show. Uh, I saw a lot of people saying that, and I completely agree. Uh, this should have closed the show. It deserved to close the show. From start to finish with Bailey not being able to get a chair in the cell uh, to, to kind of the ending uh, where Sasha kind of got all her retribution, which is still to come. Oh, oh. Uh, just fantastic and i can't wait for her to lose her first title defense i honestly think that that's what they should do not again that, just let no, her defend it once no fuck it it's part <laughs> of the story it. at this point it's part of the story i think sasha should lose the belt on fucking friday like just lose it you know there, what do you mean lose it in a match or literally just lose it uh both if possible just leave it at a steakhouse Take the wig off or whatever and just go fucking full <laughs> crazy Mary Dobson. Just fucking lose her shit. Shave half the side of her head. Lose her fucking mind. How come great out, was it? Come How out great in a bed sheet. Jimmy's on a road to nowhere, so I'm going to cut him off. Oh, excuse you. <laughs> How great was it when Bailey started duct taping two kendo sticks together, realized she was doing fucking something really dumb, and then fell over them trying to get back in the ring? so good i like when she turned to the referee and she was like hey i'm sweating can you help me with this and the referee's like no i can't help you with this <laughs> what a match they had everything there, there are three consistencies in the women's division charlotte wins lol lana must go through a table and sasha loses her first title defense and i've even seen people through it to see that we won't even get sasha versus asuka uh, some that Survivor Series. I've heard people say that they think Bailey will challenge Sasha before Survivor Series, and she'll lose it. And part of me wants to see that happen because I definitely think this they should have another match at WrestleMania because one of them wins the Rumble. And I know like Hell in a Cell is a weird match to have as your like your first match of a feud, but like they've been building so long to this match, and we were finally reminded like how good these two are when they're actually wrestling each other, and so I'll take however many more of these matches I can get because uh, it was well worth the wait I think because also they had the long bit had the, the expectations of takeover and everything like that but this definitely should have been invented it should have been Orton, Orton Drew should have opened the show Uso match should have been in the middle and this should have been invented that's how the order of Hell in the Cell should have went because it would have been a lot better than what we got 
because this was matched and it actually felt like a cell. They utilised the cell creatively. The, the weapon spots all made sense. I love a good fire extinguisher spot and a no DQ match or weapons based match. Don't ask me why, I just do. And, you know, it was, it was so shocking, you know, much like how when Sasha murders Baby Yoda in episode one of The Mandalorian. Oh, wait, I've said too much. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Or am I? I am. I'm kidding. Show opens. Snoop Dogg and Baby Yoda are just blazing on the ship. Sasha Banks kills Baby Yoda on a weird trip. <laughs> That's the first go- scene. Bum, 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 bum. No, it's just credits. That's the end. That is season two. No, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think just to cut you off quickly on one point you just made. uh, If the only thing is, if Orton and Drew opens, you have to change all the matches up because they wrecked shop. Like they broke everything. So would would the matches then have to change? Hmm? And as we'll get on to when we get to that match, they accomplish very little in doing so. Yeah. Uh, Randy Orton got to stare at a big guy crawling. In very... Do that on his own time. <laughs> very much <laughs> Drew McIntyre doing his best Marco Robbie impression. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> There's some fan fiction for you. Oh, God. You've, you've ruined it now. I... Row, you know? <laughs> I am here for like all of these like Survivor Series matches that we get like the title v title ones that were announced, which I'll, I'll probably talk about later after we talk about the WWE title one. But like even if it's Sasha v Bailey or or Bailey, like, if it's Bailey versus Asuka or Sasha versus Asuka, like either way, I'm here for it because like Survivor Series storyline wise doesn't matter. We just we, we do know that we'll get great matches out of it. That's true. Um, I think. One thing that definitely needs to be mentioned is how brutal the finish of this match was with the bank statement through the chair banks slamming her foot down to slam the chair into Bailey's face over and over and over and over and over again. Bailey had no. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Uh, It just it just it was so brutal to see it got me to sit up in my chair and, you know, recognize you know what i mean like hands up in the air recognize um and uh, yeah just sasha banks with the uh smackdown women's championship should be cool i hope she loses it soon as much as i want to see banks and oscar survivor series i like this story a hell of a lot more than the idea of that match right now um so yeah this was great and it definitely should have closed the show but moving on from something that should have closed the show to something that shouldn't have been on the goddamn show to begin with as Bobby Trashley defended the WWE United States Championship against fucking Slapjack of Retribution <laughs> in three minutes and 50 seconds. Um, I don't even care about this match. I don't care what you guys think of the match because personally, I just need to ask you guys both one question. I'm going to start with Scott. Is Retribution the worst booked faction in the history of the WWF, WWE? Yes, I believe so. Nathan, is Retribution... No, go ahead, Scott. Like, uh, sorry, I thought that's all you wanted, but yeah. I, I was like, who do we want to represent us to take out this guy who's got a 15-2 and two, a one record in mixed martial arts? I know, Shane Thorne. You know, 
not not the, not Brent, not the big uh, former football player and mace or not like six foot seven T bar. No, looking. If they sent Mia Yim out there, she'd be more believable to take that US belt <laughs> than fucking Slapjack. All possessed I mean, and whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> I mean, I'm sick. come on, to fuck, lads. Come on. Like, and I think they gave away that this match was going to be added and have the US title added to it because at the start of the show, before the, the 24-7 title, uh, Tom Phillips takes up five title matches and there were only four announced at that point. So he basically... Like gave away the fact that there'd be another title match added before it was. Heaven forbid the Intercontinental title makes it. I know. Like heaven forbid we get to see maybe Daniel Bryan versus Sammy fucking Zayn. Oh, wouldn't that be a lovely situation for us to be in? But unfortunately, we have with Slapjack. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Slapjack is not on screen. Everyone should be asking, "Where's Slapjack?" <laughs> <laughs> My home planet needs me now. I will go. Slapjack died on the way to back to his planet. Uh, Nathan, same question to you. Um, building off of what Scott said there, uh, retribution is there a in the history of that you can think of? Even let's let's expand it outward. WCW, uh, ECW, uh, New Japan, fucking Ring of Honor, AEW. Is there a worse booked faction than Retribution? Does it does a, a, a faction stink more of last second preparation than Retribution? Uh, no, no. For a time, I might have considered saying the Dark Order just because they were doing fuck all. But they're actually trying to do something with Retribution, but I've got no idea what it is. <laughs> like, it, like, there's... I've, I've no idea. genuinely affected too. Like you're just like I, I don't, I just I don't, don't know. get it. Like I don't understand what there is. Like the easiest thing they could have done if you want to make retribution look good, you just had the big reveal of Mustafa Ali being the leader, being the hacker. Why not just have something happen and he wins the US title? Like I know the Hurt Business are great. Are the Hurt Business good guys now? Like I don't think so. What is he? Like, what is happening? <laughs> it's like go we got five minutes to fill okay let's put a match in it no just like have elias come out and sing some more songs or something well put on something actually worth watching stop just butchering this retribution idea it's like there's an idea that someone had thinks is really good and everyone else is putting it on screen and shitting on it just live on air but oh yeah it'd be great for stuff Leads a faction of people with stupid names. Wouldn't that be dumb? Let's do it. <laughs> Look how stupid you are. Aren't you dumb, Shane McMahon? Or something like that. Like, just, just stop it. Like, Ali's got a very nice jacket now. Give him something. You know, how underwhelming, by the way, was that reveal that he's the hacker? He just offhandedly mentions, oh, by the way, I was the hacker. Like, I think it was WWE's like, way of saying, like, Look, we confirmed that he's the hacker, and I stopped fucking asking us. Yeah, is that the same thing as Elias earlier in the show being like, remember when Jeff Hardy hit me with a car? It's like the exact same thing. And it's like, I was the hacker. You're like, there was a hacker? Oh, yeah, there was a hacker. And, and <laughs> the entire internet wrestling community went, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> they were the fucking hacker. They may as well <laughs> just had, like, an Ali promo where he just has a piece of paper in front of him and he was just like, 
Uh, I ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin in 1999, and uh, I was the one who, uh, you know, started GTV. And uh, don't worry, don't worry, I bought WCW. Um, <laughs> just have him take credit for yeah, everything. So I was Mr. America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was El Grand Gordo. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, how salacious would that be? Oh, I'm here for that storyline. I'm Vince's son. <laughs> How scandalous is that? Vince McMahon went out, hooked up with like a Middle Eastern chick. She had a baby. He was like, God damn it, no. And then made Ali grow up like alone in the streets of Chicago with a single mother. And he had to grow up. And then he had to form this like faction of people with stupid names to come in and do nothing and just to show his dad, like, hey, man, you didn't want me here, and now I'm going to do nothing, all right? All right? And that yeah. I would be here for that shit, dude. He, he forms a tag team with Jamie McMahon as the new Forgotten Son. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at Dominic Dijakovic, all six foot seven of him, and Vince was just like, no one's going to be able to say your name. Your, which one is he? Is he T-Bar? He's T-Bar, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like your T bar now. He's like, what? <laughs> what does that even mean? What's a T bar? I I don't. I think you it's are. Like a, God damn it! I think I think it's that thing that you take you help take your tires off your car with. You know what I mean? Where you have to take the lug nuts off. It's I think that's called a T bar. Oh, that should be his gimmick. Yeah, yeah. He should come to the ring with one of those and stab people in the face with it. Why are they all wearing Party City masks? By the way, who fucking knows? Yeah, he oh, we've, we've talked about it longer than it was on the air. Was, was Shelton not, not available? See, when, when Shelton was saying, like, guessing which member they should face, which, again, who said that Richard Hurtbiz is going to choose which member? Because, of course, they're going to pick the shittest one. And, like, how about the one in the stupid mask? And they all look at him and say, narrow it down. What did Shane Fawn do to you? I don't... He became Slapjack. <laughs> oh, this was stupid. Yeah, this was this was awful. What is did did Shane Thorne like have like a friendship with Jeff Hardy? Is that why you're so hard on him? <laughs> no, he was about a tag team that did nothing, and then the other one fucked off, and then he came up and it was going to be managed by for the MVP, and then did nothing. Like he's just useless, clearly. Um, oh, he's a new user. So Mercedes uh, Martinez, props to her for getting out of this. I don't know whether they just told her to go away or if she was like, nah, dog. But well done. Well done, you. And now we move on to the main event of that evening, the Hell in a Cell match for the WWE champion. I'm sorry, the WWE championship. That went about 30 minutes. Uh, Randy Orton taking on the then champion, Drew McIntyre. Uh, they fought each other. Again, they went up on top of the cell for no reason. Uh, they paid tribute to the 1997 Bad Blood Hell in a Cell match, and Drew took a bump through the table, and then he lost the title. And Randy Orton is champion for the 14th time. I know that you can hear the excitement in my voice, so let's dig right into this exciting WWE Championship match by going first to Nathan. I really like this. I thought this was a really good match. 
still don't think it should have main evented. Uh, but I thought this worked well. Uh, the brutality of it was up there with the guys just trying to beat the shit out of each other. Drew being too big and too strong to begin with. Wharton's sneakiness that meant we didn't have to see his never-ending entrance uh, was great. Uh, I thought the bump was good. I thought the throwing up blood was a bit too much. Uh, but it was a cool visual having Randy Orton just watch Drew crawl back to the ring, knowing he'd won. Uh, Drew still doing his thing where he's kicking out a one, and Orton being a bit baffled by it was great. And I thought it was a good match. I liked it. I thought it was a good main event that probably shouldn't have main evented. And I think Orton's been on a tear uh, this year and has been doing some really, really good things. So I'm kind of excited to see what he does as champion without watching Raw. (laughs) (laughs) Through the pay-per-views, I hope Randy Orton I'm excited to see when he faces it. I mean, I'm in the camp of, like, do we need that match again? Can we just have both of them do things? No. Fantastic. Scott, what is your opinion on the uh, main event, Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre? Uh, Did you love it? Did you hate it? Was it just sort of there? Yeah, it was shite, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It was, wasn't it? It I'm so happy. It was really good. Well, okay, here's the thing. I hate to echo the sentiments of, like, other people's opinions, but, like, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton should have gone into this match tied one apiece. Mm-hmm. Orton should have won the first one. Drew should have won the second one. And this one should have been the rubber match. Orton wins the title um, here. Uh, gets him to 15 championships, so he's within striking distance of the record. Um, and yeah, this was just sort of like, we just been watching these guys beat the fuck out of each other for four months. What, what left is there to do? Am I right, Scott? Yeah. Like, cause Orton, I think up until class of champions was like the MVP in WWE of 2020. Like he had the feud with edge. He took out, they attacked Beth Phoenix. He took out Flair and Christian and Sean. And like, so yeah, he didn't like win against Drew, but obviously he was annoyed that Drew kind of flipped, rolled him up, so that continued the feud. He put Keith Lee over clean, like when he didn't have to. And then, like at Clash of Champions, he should have won that match. Instead, he lost, and for a reason decided, "I'm Randy Orton. I can have as many title matches as I want until I win." And he's got his, his fucking goggles that make him look like he's going to Laser Quest or something. And like, yeah, because this didn't feel like a feud that deserved telling a sale, like. Like, Drew, when he brought Orton and they brought after this, like, looked intense because he wanted his belt back. If they had that after Class of Champions and you've got Drew fighting for the belt they worked all those years to get, and so this would have added a lot more fire and actually make you think, this deserves to be in Hell in a Cell. But instead you had Orton pretend to be a cameraman to sneak up on Drew and fail because Drew's seen him coming. They went up on the cell, and I know you can't just have people do the whole, like, McFoley spot, off the cell again because also we know how much that fucked up McFoley. But like the the spot that he that Drew did, like people can people stop doing that because Seth and Dean did it, and it's basically a case of like I need to comically hit the cell and just go and just dive backwards, which makes it the bump look even shitter. And like it didn't feel like it should have where Orton was on this great run and won the title because he was one of the because really deserved to because of how good he'd been as a heel. It felt like 
Oh, thank fuck he finally won because this feud was getting progressively shipped. And I've, I worry for what he's going to do next because they seem to be teasing him and The Fiend because he burnt down his house that one time. But if the plan is, as they're saying, Orton v Edge to be for the title, Orton's going to have to beat The Fiend. And everybody knows whenever The Fiend loses a big match, the internet just tears itself apart. I'm just hoping that we don't get any more um, projected maggots. Personally. Some people out there have said that Drew's brain is kind of underwhelming and they feel bad for him. Like, like yeah, you feel bad that he didn't get a like perform in front of an actual crowd. Instead, he had to perform in front of faces that reacted 30 seconds afterwards, like on the, in the bloody Thunderdome. But he had good matches against people who you didn't believe at any point were going to beat him. And then we actually found somebody that you thought could beat him and then eventually did. They did it in a feud that went along on for too long and somehow is still continuing. So in that respect, yeah, it's not great. I think Drew is fortunate enough that given the fact he's the first British champion, his reign won't be forgotten. It'll at least, at least be somewhat memorable. But I also I've seen a lot of people who don't like the fact that Miz is, champ, is Money in the Bank and Orton's champ again. Because they were like, oh, are these sort of ideas to repeat what they did 10 years ago. Like, I like the fact that we've got this because their com- the Survivor Series will be 10 years to the day that Miz cast in initially. In the and, same arena. Mm-hmm. And I like, uh, you know, I kind of like the fact that Miz is Mr. Money Bank as well. Otis was a shape Mr. Money Bank. He was never going to win. I'm not saying Miz will. But like, are people forgetting that since the brand that people have basically been saying Miz should get another title run, like he's much better now than he was then. But now this Otis feed has dragged him down so much that people are like, oh God, Miz is Mr. Money in the Bank again. Yeah, I, I, I like. I, I agree with you that the Drew McIntyre title reign um, won't be forgotten because he's the first British champion and and whatnot. But I think that what Drew McIntyre did successfully uh, is he turned a lot of people to his favor because I I I live with somebody who was not a big fan of Drew McIntyre when he first came in, but then by the time that this match was taking place, we had a conversation about how Drew was kind of killing it. He doesn't have anyone around. Like, the, there's no one in the stands. Um, do we know, by the way, just as an aside, do we know that if when you're in the Thunderdome and you're performing, do you hear the chants or is it like, and like the, the noise, or is it just silent and that's added in for production? I heard I Jay say something. Something. So I thought, I heard Jay say saying something about it that it's piped in, but, and it, but it makes it a bit kind of off-putting. But I don't know if that meant it was piped in on the production side or if it was pumped in into the re- into the arena. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Drew has become uh, somebody that, you know, like really turned some heads, uh, really was like sort of like inspirational through like everything he said directly to the camera. Um, the night he won the title from from uh, Brock. And everything about how this isn't just for me, this is for for all of you. He really did sort of put Raw and the company at some points on his back, and really, um, yeah, mind you, the 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 title reign itself, it was maybe wasn't as good, but WWE was trying to figure out how to continue doing a show every week, you know. So I think Drew McIntyre, I think that's what he's going to be remembered for is that he literally did, he went above and beyond with what he was given. And was able to really do something that was effective um, in these weird, you know, 
abnormal fucking times that we live in and shit. And I think that's really something that's going to because it's not like he's never going to get the belt again. Definitely. Yeah. He's at the top and he's going to stay there. Um, I don't think he's going to get some sort of demotion and have to tag with fucking Dolph Ziggler again or whatnot. Uh... Um, but yeah, I, 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 I just I agree that maybe uh, people are being a little too hard on McIntyre here. I think people are definitely being too hard because the point is that when you're champion, you feel like a champion. And he felt like a champion throughout, even though he had to face Dolph Ziggler for a bit. Like, he, he felt like he belonged there. He looked the part. He wrestled the part. He put on some great kind of uh, old school style kind of main events. And he and he still feels like he belongs like in the main event. He's main event forever bar like a massive botch with him booking wise he's kind of he's a he's a made guy now and surely mm-hmm. that's the point and if the if the fans were there then they definitely would have been reacting so i think people are just trying to be a bit controversial for the sake of it like although like maybe randy orton isn't everyone's cup of tea it's still randy orton it took randy orton in a hell in a cell to beat the guy like that's that's not really that's not bad is it yeah, I'm, I'm I'm quite looking forward actually to Orton if he starts getting promos like he was like before the feud, the Drew feud started like when he was at his peak at, at this current run and to build up like promos definitely probably done by him and to build up this match with Roman and that could be a good few weeks of, of build even though they're not on the same brand but something I'm wondering about Drew is how he gets the build back because if the plan is Orton versus Edge for the title then Edge probably will win and you're like, I don't want Drew to win the belt from Edge because, well, if he gets a bit too much momentum behind a claymore, he will break Edge's neck again. <laughs> Jeez. Well, he, he probably will. We don't know how fragile Edge is at this point. <laughs> so what you're, what you're got, saying is that... guy's got screws in his neck, you know? You're saying on this podcast, on the record, Drew McIntyre isn't a safe worker. No, I'm saying... I just don't want to take the risk with between him and Edge because, again, we don't know what the status of Edge's neck is at this point because he's only had one singles match back and then we had to do a retake of it. He got injured and also that wasn't his fault. But, like, still, he's had one singles match since he came back. So we don't know how actually how healthy Edge is. This is a really weird aside. I'm just I'm just wondering because I've, I know everyone's there, oh, when prayers come back, he's going to get the belt. Like, like if Orton's going to hold the belt to me if they wanted to match the edge then surely Drew's going to get a rematch and have to lose it then and then where does he go from there uh, you're right he tags with Dolph Ziggler he's fucked <laughs> stunning stunning and like very bright and shiny outlook for the uh, Scottish psychopath there um, we're going to take a quick break before we get into the Wednesday night shows here on the Grapple Update so for you guys it'll be I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. For us, it might be 10 or 15 minutes. See you back here in just a few moments. Thank you. 
And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Well, after a quick dump, we're back for uh, the Wednesday night shows <laughs> from this week. Uh, NXT's offering of Halloween Havoc and uh, this week's AEW Dynamite. Two weeks out from um, Full Gear on uh, November the 7th, which, of course, you will hear us talk about in great detail when and if we get around to it. Uh, Dynamite opens this week, and uh, we have two big matches uh, for uh, the World Title Eliminator Tournament. Uh, Wardlow and MJF are being interviewed backstage. MJF doesn't let him speak. Uh, Says he's super proud of him, um, but at some point, Sammy Guevara walks up and says he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that MJF doesn't get into the inner circle. MJF uh, calls Sammy someone who looks like he sells Adderall to middle schoolers. Um, which popped me, generally speaking. Um, says he's thinking of, uh, and Sammy uh, says that he's just thinking of all the ways he's gonna beat up MJF. Uh, and then Wardlow makes his entrance for the first match. Wardlow taking on Hangman Adam Page. Uh, I loved this match. I thought it was uh, very, very good to see Wardlow back in there doing what he does best. Uh, which surprisingly, because they never let him do it, is wrestle. Um, and of course, Hangman Adam Page, as of late, has been doing. Uh, a lot of really fun matches with, uh, like, the likes of Frankie Kazarian and now Wardlow uh, and whatnot. And uh, I thought this was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, Scott, what did you think of uh, this match in the tournament? Okay, first off on that Adderall comment, like, Sammy does look like he'd fit in perfectly with the 21 Jump Street remake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the team role that Franco played in, like, the, the first 21 Jump Street but other than that, the match will... I'm just going to say this. AEW, like, stop making your tournaments so fucking obvious. Because, like, like nothing against either match, because both matches were, were great. We'll talk about the Pentagon match later on. But does anyone not see the two people who are in the finals get, not getting to the final? They did this with Cody and Archer in the TNT tournament. Uh, they kind of choreographed SCU and Lutzer Wills meeting in the final of the title round when they had them have a confrontation on the first episode of Dynamite. For whatever reason, they they have good tournaments, but they always have predictable outcomes. And it was good because uh, Wardlow has, hasn't lost a match since that match with Cody back in February, so he still felt like a big deal. And it was still a rare area to lose. Like, he'd even go down after the first fuck shot Lariat. I imagine immediately then go back outside and hit it again. And also Hangman's uh, graphic saying emotionally unavailable on it as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that they're still carrying that out. I can't wait to see the one uh, for his match uh, at full gear because, uh, uh, of course, Hangman Adam Page gets the victory here. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Nathan, do you agree that they maybe choreograph their tournaments a little too much and need to sort of figure that out with maybe adding more participants, sort of muddy the waters a little bit more? I don't know if it's adding more participants or it's just making sure there's more main event stories going on. Like Kenny Omega and Adam Page was the only real story in this tournament. So you like what they're going to meet in the final. They were tag champions. They're both kind of main eventers in this company. And there's no one else really there. Like you've got Wardlow. Sure, he's big, but he's just MJF's kind of bodyguard. And uh, Pentagon Jr. is half of a tag team. So who's gonna who's gonna be in the final? It's kind of it was kind of obvious from the beginning, and I think the semi-finals in a way un, 
Raveled kind of just made it more certain that this was going to be the final. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so ha- Hangman Adam Page moves on to the final at full gear in two weeks. We then get a short promo from John Moxley while he's in training. Uh, he says that he spent a year making the AEW world title what it is today, the biggest prize in the business. Uh, he also says that Eddie Kingston better be ready for full gear because he is. Uh, a lot of really uh, interesting uh, image- imagery uh, in this uh, in this promo. They, they cut in um, shots of Eddie Kingston uh, praying with his rosary beads. Um, and it, that really fed into... Um, that really fed into uh, sort of what happened uh, just slightly later with uh, Eddie Kingston and his match. Um, but uh, then Eddie Kingston comes out, uh, complains uh, about the show going to commercial during his entrance. He kicks the guy out of the uh, he kicks the cameraman out of the ring. Uh, he says Moxley isn't here tonight, but he is, and he's going to put on a show against the joke of the Battle Royal, uh, the Joker of the Battle Royal, Matt Seidel. Uh, he reminds us that he was never eliminated and hopes Moxley is watching. Uh, then, of course, we get the match. Uh, Eddie Kingston, Matt Seidel. Of course, uh, Eddie Kingston ends up winning. Uh, he makes uh, he puts um, the bulldog choke uh, onto Matt Seidel and yells at him, Moxley tap, Moxley tap, and then makes, um, I almost said Anna Jay, but that's not right, Allie, the bunny, um, hold uh, the microphone so uh, Matt Seidel can say that he quits. Uh, the look in Kingston's eyes is insane. Uh, Eddie Kingston has done a lot. Um, in this program to really make me want to see this match again. Uh, Scott, how did you feel uh, about the match, the promos, uh, Kingston in general? Uh, take us take us through all your thoughts on all that. I really enjoyed the promo. Uh, felt, it helped like, make me feel I actually care about uh, this feud. And I wouldn't mind, after like seeing what Kingston did, I wouldn't mind seeing him win the title at full gear even yeah. though I'm not sure how likely that is. It was hard for me to really get into the match because most of it happened during like the picture-in-picture, picture. and uh, I find it hard to kind of focus on that because, again, as a non-American, your adverts are really weird to me, so I'm always drawn to like the side of the screen where the adverts are happening. And but, yeah, it was decent, and also the, the point afterwards about forcing Seidel to say quips and then doing the, the joke. I, I haven't been watching Dynamite as frequently, as I really should, probably should uh, since All Out, so I wasn't aware that Moxley was using that as a, like, a new like move. And I like the fact that he's using more submission offense because he used the, the arm bar and Brian Cage before. And also the idea of using a submission and I quit match. We saw that with with uh, Roman using the key to his match with G that we talked about earlier. So, yeah, like I'm, I'm here for it. And uh, uh, any, do you have any thoughts, Nathan, on uh, the the idea of the I quit match between uh, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley at full gear. It's going to be a great match. And I'm kind of looking forward to how they get around to someone actually saying I quit. Cause you've got two characters that should never really be saying that. Uh, so like Scott's just said, it's kind of going to be interesting how they get to that point, similar to Roman and Jay, uh, hell in a cell kind of, you've got two guys who they're never really going to say it in Eddie Kingston and John Moxie. So what are they actually going to do in the match? And like, let's just Eddie Kingston. He's, he's going to put Renee young in a chokehold. That's really, um, that's, that's the only way I can see it happening. I mean, God willing, it would be entertaining. She's going to uh, spit on her non-compete clause and she's going to get choked out by Eddie Kingston. I'm here for it. 
Um, next up, Excalibur interviews FTR on the Young Bucks and split screens. Uh, Excalibur is with the Young Bucks. Um, they they talk for a little while. FTR gets a little pissed off because uh, Excalibur is spending a little too much time talking to the Young Bucks and not the tag champions, so they fuck off. Um, and then uh, Nick Jackson says that if they don't win at full gear, they will never, ever challenge for the AEW tag team titles again. Uh, the question I have for both of you here is... Um, they're winning. How do you, I, exactly. I mean, let's say that they don't. Let's say that they don't. Um, and we well, now will. have... Right, right. <laughs> let's say that they don't. And we have Cody, who can't challenge Sorry. for the world title, and the Bucks, who can't challenge for the tag team titles. How do they sort of work their way out of it? Because at some point, those two acts <laughs> will have, or should have those belts at some point. So how do they sort of get out of that, if well, not once, but twice? It's easy. FTR are going to win, and then the Young Bucks next week are going to announce the tournament for the TNT Tag Team Championships. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going to win it immediately. <laughs> and have, that's going to be been it. Rumors, I've been rumors of like them bringing in six-man belts, which I hope don't happen, because, again, immediately it's got, those belts would go on Kenny and the Bucks. Yeah. And they probably put them up against bloody Jurassic Express to give you hope that maybe they'll put them on someone else. Like, no, they put them on themselves. But we don't have to think about the hypothetical because they're winning. Yeah, no, I think the they have to win pretty much. But can they stop just repeating themselves? Like, they put on phenomenal matches, but a lot of these stories are just the same thing again and again. Like, why even say that? It makes no sense. Other than choreographing the fact that they have to win, otherwise it is literally just what happened to Cody. Uh, it just seemed it's a little bit too much. The match sells itself. Yeah. You don't need to add this. This annoys me. Like, again, yeah, it is exactly the same as Cody, and you know this time around it's going to be the opposite because, well, this is not just going to be a one-and-done thing. But this is going to be a series of matches, so... What, how are they going to keep this going if the, the Young Bucks can't like, challenge them for the titles if they've still got the belts and it doesn't, it's not worth them f- continuing fighting? So this is going to be a part of the season. Bucks are going to win this first match because they have to. But my main complaint about this feud is simply, why is it heel versus heel? Like, I get the idea of maybe like, like the crowd will decide who they want to hear. Some people are on FTR, so some people prefer the Young Bucks and that's fine. But you don't have to make it heel versus heel because, like, oh, they're doing this weird slow burn thing with the Bucks where they're not officially heels now, even though they're kind of with Kenny now. But why does it always need to be a case in AEW of, oh, it's the slow burn heel turn? Yeah. Like, sometimes you, sometimes someone's just an arsehole and they can just go from being not an arsehole to an arsehole. Because you already did the slow turn of, like, thinking Adam Page is going to turn heel. But it turns out Kenny and the Bucks are the arseholes all along. Like, don't do this whole slow burn thing. Just tell us. Who each year, who's the good guy and this, who's the bad guy and this. Because the they Bucks did. and Kenny are much better as heels, so just let us have it. Everyone, well, not everyone, that's a massive exaggeration, uh, which I rarely do. But um, so many characters in AEW, as great as the matches are, so many people are cool shades of grey heels. Like, there's only really kind of three characters because they've got Tully Blanchard, the heel manager with them, who manages yeah. Sean Spears, who's also a heel. Who that guy <laughs> you don't like? Oh, okay. How's he getting on? 
I didn't see him on the show. <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah, it doesn't need to be heel versus heel. You don't need to add the Young Bucks bit of we'll never challenge again. Like, why would heels say that? Anyway, like, I, don't know, I think it's just setting up for either they don't really ever do, well, they never do non-finishes, really. So it's either setting up for a very rare non-finish or the Bucks have to win now. Whereas originally everyone just wanted to see the revival as they were now FTR versus the Young Bucks. And that's it. That's the story. You just got two great tag teams. Yeah, I mean, arguably, arguably. And I love that FTR like sort of won the tag belts as quickly as they did. But honestly, I don't even think this match needs the tag titles. This match is going to be big enough without the titles. Um, yeah. I, I think that the Bucks versus FTR is something that since those tweets went back and forth a couple of years ago, everybody in the grandmother has just been aching, literally yeah. dying on the inside, waiting for this match to happen. And thankfully, we're getting it. But now when they're in the home stretch, just before they get to the pay-per-view, they're like, oh, we won't challenge for the titles ever again and stuff. It's like, well, you might as well just say, well, if we don't win, I'm going to cut my dick off. Like, <laughs> why does it matter? Don't don't fucking burn the bread in the oven. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, just leave it. I mean, I've always been, like, more in favor of FTR, so I was going to be probably cheering for them when they had this eventual match. But then I remember they went on Talk of Jericho and they said, like, yeah, we, we'd never met the Bucks and we didn't know about this FTR thing until, like, somebody told us. So they just ran away. The Bucks one day just said, like, oh, yeah, we're going to just, like, call out. We're just going to make jokes at these guys' expense because other people say they're just as good as us. So, you know, that just makes them sound like even bigger dicks. So, like, yeah. Fuck the Young Bucks, one FTR. Even though they're not going to win because they've choreographed them. Yep. It's going to be a good match, though. It's going to be really, really cool, uh, although the Bucks are going to win. Um, yeah. So it is time for the... What do we have? Hey, all three of us are certain the Bucks are going to win, so we're going to have to do it. What, what, what are all three of us going to do if FTR win? Uh, cut our dicks off. Cut our dicks off. Yeah, we're going to have to cut our dicks off. To quote... We'll do it live on the podcast, like, all in sync. Like, ready? Nice at the ready. One, two... Ah! To quote the late, great George Carlin, after uh, I stick this red-hot poker up my ass, I'm going to chop my dick off. Um, it is time for the town hall uh, with the Inner Circle, hosted by Dasha Fuentes and Tony Schiavone. Um, the Inner Circle is out first, obviously, followed by MJF. Uh, it's to set up, uh, it is set up so other wrestlers uh, and such can ask them questions, which source asked the first question uh, about how uh, MJF uh, will contribute to the financials of the inner circle to which MJF shows a, uh, a graph on the screen about how his earnings will only increase after he joins the uh, inner circle. It was a very, very uh, good graph, actually very uh, informative. Uh, Reba then gets a little excited talking to, uh, talking to Y2J. Um, this was an obvious call out to the Donald Trump uh, town hall where some woman just got up and was just like, your smile is so fantastic. And oh my God, when you smile, it's just so great. And he's like, yes, I know. I absolutely know. I have the best, um, uh, the best smile. Uh, and uh, Y2J, they do that whole little back and forth. Uh, uh, Baker shuts her up eventually. And Baker says MJF isn't a nice guy and he might be trying to trick him. Jericho says he is aware of MJF's past and that he's uh, a friend. 
but he's not privy to the inner circle's private business yet. He's not as dumb as Cody. And if MJF tries to trick them, he will knock his teeth out. Um, he is in the business for the same reason, the green and the gold. Uh, nothing really there too much other than the, uh, the Trump call out, to be honest with you. Uh, Peter Avalon gets up to ask a question. He said, I'm just going to shoot my shot. Can I get in the inner circle? To which everybody in the ring laughs at him, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> and then Jericho just goes, no, no way, no way. Just get out of here. Go. Next question. Um, and then, of course, Eric Bischoff shows up uh, to ask a three-pronged question to Mr. Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Uh, he says um, something about... Uh, JFK said in 1961, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what your country, what you can do for your country. And to that end, uh, what does MJF think he can contribute to the inner circle, which MJF uh, replies friendship, which weird following the, uh, the Dr. Britt Baker, uh, question that he would say friendship, uh, Bischoff, uh, follows up by asking MJF what the inner circle can do for him to which MJF says he's the total package. Um, but his one weakness is that he's not a team player and he hopes that joining the inner circle will teach him how to be a better teammate. Uh, moving on here quickly, Bischoff says he's worked with Jericho and he's a prima donna. Uh, Jericho cuts him off. Shivani uh, tells him to shut up. Uh, Bischoff has the floor. Bischoff tells MJF that, uh, he is also a prima donna, uh, has those characteristics and asks him what will happen if he joins the inner circle and he and Jericho butt heads and try to kill each other. This leads to Jericho and MJF facing off and MJF says, honestly, what haven't I done? And Jericho says, you haven't beat me. So the match is set Jericho versus MJF at full gear. If MJF wins the match, he can be part of the inner circle next week. He has a tag match where he will tag with, uh, Wardlow to take on Sammy Guevara and Ortiz. Uh, Scott, going to you again, uh, what did you think of all of what happened here in the Inner Circle Town Hall? I enjoyed it, you know. The only thing missing was asking uh, Jericho, uh, are you using the pain uh, function on your Snapchat to cover in your, like, hairline? <laughs> or whatever it was he was using? The answer to that question is yes, he is. Absolutely, he is. <laughs> Yeah, like that. You know, you had the the dinner uh, thing the week before, where MJF uh, outclassed the leader, the lead singer of a fucking rock band, and a singing segment <laughs> just, just for the proving how crap fuzzy are. Good <laughs> <laughs> It's also good to get people to sing Judas again, which is nice. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I liked the fact that they brought everybody off the end. So it's Eric B from Coding Wyoming. And then he comes out and everybody starts chanting Eric B. Yeah, that was great. That was great. And I know what we did. I kind of shot on the whole FTR. Um, FTR fucks thing for being both, both being heels. And I know this is a heel v heel match. But I'm actually really looking forward to this. Because I like Jer- um, MGF was like, I will do anything. He, like, he really emphasized that. Jericho to win, and I really want to see what's, where this goes because, like, I can't really see anybody new joining the inner circle. But I think if anyone was going to join, it would be MJF. I think Jericho said in the past that MJF was originally pitched him as one of the original members, and so I'm interested to see what happens. I've seen people with all sorts of theories online, so I think it's one of the least predictable matches on Full Gear, which is why I'm looking forward to it so much. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm really into this as well. Uh, MJF seems to be like an even bigger like sort of heel than the inner circle is because the inner circle can be kind of cool. MJF doesn't try to be cool. Um, but uh, Nathan, what do you think of uh, seeing Jericho take on MJF? And do you think that this moves into him potentially winning and then getting into inner circle and then possibly taking it over for himself? Uh, I think he is going to win and he is going to take it over for himself because as shit as Jericho's band is, they do have a tour booked. So at some point, Jericho is going to have to go away. And this seems like a good setup. I'm interested to see what they do. MJF, although he's got better, isn't necessarily that strong in the ring. And usually when Jericho goes into a big match, it's with someone who's pretty phenomenal in the ring because as great as Jericho is he is 64 years old uh <laughs> so especially with that hairline uh he can't he can't kind of do it for a, but I'm looking forward to what they do Jericho's obviously a, a smart guy well when it comes to wrestling not a lot else and uh I'm really shitting on Jericho tonight I don't know what he's done other than uh, he, his is, hairline. he is in the big time in Fox Hall of Fame so that must be why sorry that's where all the anger's coming from uh so I'm I'm looking forward to the match. I think MJF is probably I'm kind of 75, 80% sure MJF's gonna win. Uh but then Jericho did lose his last uh big kind of match, so uh but then he did just get pushed into a swimming pool full of uh, what was it? Orange Mimosa. juice. Mimosa. Uh, but so I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be probably match of the night. MJF, he's not the Miz. Yeah, he's not as good as Demiz, but he does have a scarf, so points to him. Taz cut the promo with his boys backstage, and he says people want to know why they want Will Hobbs in their group. Don't know why people are asking that. Uh, yeah. Taz, Taz says they care about <laughs> why money. Would you, yeah, why would you put the segment right after the other segment where people care way more about this guy trying to get into this group? I like Will Hobbs, don't get me wrong. Uh, the few matches I've seen from him and stuff, he's, he's very talented, very strong. Um, I don't disagree with the storyline that they're doing here, but this feels like it should just be on Dark. There's no reason for this to be on Dynamite. God, is there room on Dark? Well, they 47 keep... matches last week. The, the show is like 17 hours long. It's insanity. It two hours last, like last, last episode, because like, what? You know, somewhere 11 or 14 matches or something like that. Like, it's getting to the point where Dynamite Dark's almost again as long as fucking Raw. Yeah. It's called Dark because no matter what time of day you start watching it, it will be dark when you finish. <laughs> nice. Um, oh, although over the last couple of weeks, um, Dark has had uh, a few really great matches with a lot of people that uh, I've worked with a lot over the years. Uh, KTB versus uh, Jungle Boy was a fantastic match. Good to see KTB on there. Uh, love Kyle a whole bunch, and good to see him up there doing his thing. And the current reigning and defending Pro Wrestling Magic World Tag Team Champions, the Jersey Muscle Society, were in a six-man tag match uh, on Dark uh, just Tuesday night. And good for them. Uh, I'm I'm really excited for both Steve Gifke and Tony Vincita that they were able to be on AEW, and I hope that's not the last time that we see them because they're very, very talented. And although I am sad that we will lose them for Pro Wrestling Magic, it is good to see that they're uh, succeeding. 
Uh, although they were in one of those, you know, 74 hour long dark yeah. episodes. So you have to sort of skim through it. Yeah, skip to one day, 17 hours and you'll find it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next up is the TNT championship lumberjack match. I think it's the first lumberjack match in AEW because uh, they're still doing first because they've only been around about a year. Uh, lumberjack match Cody taking on Orange Cassidy. This match goes uh, 16 minutes or so. It was pretty good. Um, the one thing that stood out to me, I said this to Scott off air just now, is that Dustin Rhodes is the worst lumberjack in the history of lumberjacking. Um, he stood literally right next to Trent with a question mark, um, and watched Trent with a question mark, punch Cody with an exclamation point in the face and did nothing about it. Did absolutely nothing about it. Um, the match itself was fine, but obviously they weren't going to go to a triple threat or anything. Cody ends up getting the win. Uh, we see Darby Allen in, uh, you know, the, the nosebleed seats, just like looking, just going like, how can I jump off my skateboard and not die from here? Um, anywho, uh, Scott, what did you think of the lumberjack matcher? I liked it a whole bunch. I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on it, but, uh, uh, there was a few things that was just like, we just saw this two weeks ago. Yeah, it was, it was decent. Like, because, like, Cassidy didn't really do a lot of his usual stuff. Like, his hands were out of the pockets, but, like, the majority of the match, he didn't do any of the usual moves he does while his hands are still in his pockets. Uh, yeah, yeah, the thing with Trent ran was just sitting them, and then, like, Dustin, like you said, did nothing about it. But then, like, JR was giving Trent shit for it, as if, like, tr- the best friends in Cassidy are maybe somewhat be the, heel- the de facto heels of this match. And then, buddy, Arn Anderson randomly, after John Silver gets involved, or uh, Nansen ran with just cheap shots, Orange Cassidy, which, again, after that and uh, what happened, he interfered and pushed Lance Archer off the top rope, double nothing. Like, I said to you off air, Jimmy, like, someone needs to take Arn Anderson aside and have a talk with that guy, because, like, he's, he's just causing trouble. And I, I don't even, I'm struggling to care about Cody right now, because he just came back, very <laughs> finished his reality show, won the belt back from Brody Lee. Had a had two matches with Orange Cassidy where Cassidy lost both of them. He was doing push ups during the match, and then with a Anderson was telling him to be serious, and then Anderson interfering on his behalf later on. And then we we were trying to discuss earlier on like why is Darby Allen getting a title shot? My main question is why is Brody Lee not like where's Brody's rematch? Where has he been? Like I don't think he's been on TV since the dog collar match. Uh yeah, I yeah I think he hasn't really even been around. Like, since the dog collar match, I guess it's to sell the brutality of it. But, I mean, Cody's been on every show. So, no idea. Also, the gun clubber in the Nightmare family, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> fuck. What the fuck is that all about? Who cares? Like, I don't even know what the Nightmare family is. Like, Cody, like, him and Paige leaving the, the Elite doesn't even feel like a big deal because he never felt part of the Elite. Especially since the, Cody started doing this Nightmare family thing while he was still in the Elite. I think I mentioned it at the at the time where like the thing Hangman wanted like at the very beginning of Dynamite and stuff was that he wanted out of the elite anyway and they wouldn't let him out. But then they have this whole big confrontation where it's like you're out of the elite. How come Hangman wasn't just like good? Like I, I wanted this. Who cares? I'll be the one person on the roster not in a fucking faction. <laughs> Yeah, for real. Um, Nathan, you were saying before in the in the chat um, about how um, this feels like it's a lot 
for Cody versus Darby Allen. I was actually kind of hoping we would have gotten Orange Cassidy versus Darby Allen because I think that would have been a lot of fun to watch um, with uh, the two of them. Uh, but oh, unfortunately, we're getting Cody and Darby Allen again. Not that they have bad matches, but I mean, are you looking forward to it? Or are you just sort of like wishing that maybe there was a different outcome? I just would like some new matchups. Right. And no, I was looking back at last year's Full Gear card and some of the other shows before we started, and it's just a lot of kind of the same or very similar matches. And like a lot of these matches that it's just kind of the same thing. Like Orange Cassidy v Cody Rose had already happened. Like Cody's just coming back, and he came back with black hair and had kind of a new demeanor about him, and then he just won the title back, and then it, now he's the same guy again. And everything's kind of sometimes, although, again, the wrestling's incredibly good, things just don't seem to progress. And everyone's part of a faction, and I can't keep up a lot of the time with who's in what. And as you say, Dustin Rhodes not really getting involved to help his brother out or anything like that. What is the Nightmare family? What the hell is the inner circle? Like, what are they trying to do? What's their agenda? Well, nobody's privy to their private plans and stuff, not even MJF. Not even MJF. And uh, I would just, I would like, I would prefer to have seen something new. I would like to have seen Orange Cassidy doing his full shtick whilst Darby Allen just like grinds on the ropes. That's a skateboarding thing, not of his dick. And uh, just like grinds around the ring or something like that. Or doing some ollies. Ollies into mimosa. That would have been cool. But no, got flip into some mimosa. Got to see budget jeff jarrett doing his boring shit wow god damn somebody yeah i went there dude i i I have a feeling that uh full gear we're gonna get another like balls to the wall nathan nathan explosion you'll be lucky if i watch it (laughs) the year anniversary (laughs) the year anniversary of full gear but uh no i'm the match is gonna be very good it's just it's gonna be more of the same right all right. Um, so next, uh, best friends are backstage. And really, the, the the whole thing that I even bring this up is because how fucking hilarious was Penelope Ford dressed as Orange Cassidy's cut? You just handsomely the gift, allegedly, from Miro and Steven. And just looked at the camera as the casual, like, have, like, thumbs up that Cassidy does. But she doesn't do much, but it was just perfect. Yeah, it was it was really great. They they brawl a little bit and um, obviously they're gonna end up they're gonna do the fights. Uh, Miro's gonna take on Trent next week. Uh, cool. Hopefully Miro doesn't injure himself or somebody else. Moving on swiftly. Oh, now can, can we talk about Miro for a little bit? I know. You, oh you, yeah. You really oh. sounded like you didn't want to. Uh, well, but, uh, uh, I'm trying. I'm you know I'm trying to keep things moving personally, but I would I'll talk about Miro all goddamn day. I love that man. Just personally trying to keep things moving. Um. His character is quite controversial, apparently. Not his cat. His character isn't controversial at all, but it, like it's kind of winding a lot of people up. They think he should be doing something different. What do you guys think? Uh, I mean, the fact he's, that he's like some gamer guy, basically. The fact that him and Kip Sabian are friends because of Twitch and like look at our Twitch channels and stuff, basically just to call out WWE. Uh, for what they're doing with the uh, the Twitch channels and stuff, and making their their con- their contracted performers cry and whatnot, which if uh, like at, at, like 
as funny as that sounds, like literally, I watched a clip of Paige being all broken up about it and stuff, and it's fucking heartbreaking. And for for AEW to have a team that it was funny at first, like at the very beginning and stuff, but now like they're pissed off because they broke an arcade cabinet named Allen and stuff. And normally this shit would be right up my fucking alley. I would love to see crazy shit like this. Oh, he broke an arcade machine that had a name. I'm fucking in, dude. Like whatever. But like Slim Shady Miro and the the battle twink Kip Sabian and his hot wife are like it's just weird. Like, I don't believe that they're friends, personally. I would love to see Miro maybe going for a title, maybe beating Cody for the TNT title or something. Bring him in and make him feel like somebody. I understand that not everybody can come in uh, at the top of the card and whatnot, um, but sticking him in a tag team with Sabian because Jimmy Havoc, uh, like, you know, because <laughs> Jimmy Havoc had has problems and and got released from the company... Um, really doesn't make me feel very good at all about like what they're trying to do here. It feels very hackneyed and maybe Miro coming in and going like, well, I want to fucking talk about the brass ring and, and fucking the guy who pays our checks over here, Tony Khan is like, no, yeah, that sounds great, man. Fucking woo. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan too. Cool. Um, and then he's just like, I don't know, maybe work with Sabian. Cause like he talks about Twitch and like all that shit. <laughs> And it I just, do like the idea that every, everyone was like, like Jr. and Jericho, and everyone was like, "Oh, WWE, they're really gonna, they're really gonna regret looking, letting Rusev go." And you look at what he's doing, you go, "Are they?" Because <laughs> like, he's just, he's just the guy. He's just playing the same over-the-top guy that he used to play on Xavier Woods' YouTube channel, where it's him turned up to eleven. Yeah, exactly. I and know. I still stand by my statement. There has never been a great Rusev match. He had a match with a Nakamura athlete in 2018. Now that was pretty good. That was a really good match. Yeah, pretty good. Not great. I say pretty good because I remember it being good and I haven't watched it back. So I don't want to, I don't want to be that. I don't want that to be my health to die on in regards to Miro. A fast lane match would be a weird hill to die on. <laughs> Um, I don't know, Miro, like, I think I just, I, I want more for him, to be honest with you. I think that some of the guys that they have at the top, that they're pushing really hard, maybe need to take a back seat, looking at you, Lance Archer, um, and throw Miro up there and give him something that fucking makes mm. sense. I know that you can't do the Bulgarian brute stuff, but, I mean, he's a big dude. Yeah. With a lot of personality. You could just do the same character, but just not call it the Bulgarian Brute. Yeah. Yeah, and he was out there cussing and fucking Russian and shit anyway last week. Like, we know he speaks the fucking language. So, you know, whatever. He's not doing the... I mean, he does the accolade and shit still. Can't call it the accolade. So it's just a fucking, you know, camel clutch or whatever. I don't know. It just... it's It it gives me a lot of mixed feelings because I love Miro. um, And I really like... Um, I really like Sabian's, uh, theme music. So like, there's like something there (laughs) really. Um, also Penelope Ford, I mean, cool. She's, she's improved a lot. I'd also like to see Penelope Ford continue to wrestle some more. Love having the women on the show. Looking at you, Mm. uh, Tony Khan. Um, Um, sorry. Any, any one match at a time, I'm afraid, Jimmy. 
yeah, can we, can we talk about this? Because uh, Serena D's match, by the way, was excellent against uh, Shrunken Ronda Rousey or whatever her name was. Because <laughs> that's what she looked like to me. Like, she had similar gear and everything. But. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The fact that then you cut to backstage, or well, the fact that, oh, by the remembered rankings and that Nala Rose has been number one for weeks and we just forgot about it. So, yeah, by the way, we're going to have. Hikaru Shida versus Nala Rose at Full Gear. Like, there was a Simpsons meme out there that I think I shared on the group chat. Was, and eventually, Hikaru Shida got a match at Full Gear against, oh, let's say, Nala Rose. Because that is basically how they've fixed it's, this. It's, I mean, it's, it's indefensible at this point. Like, uh, I'm sure this is probably going to win. better picked on AWTV than their actual women's title. Yeah. It's not even like funny. It used to be kind of six months ago when people be like, "Oh, the company's still new; they're struggling for time a little bit." But Scott is absolutely right that AEW do a better job of booking the NWA champion than they do their entire women's division. And this is exactly it's... like you talk about things being the same. Look at last year at Full Gear, uh, Rio versus uh, Emi Sakura. Could have had well, a, put a few weeks of build into, and then they didn't. They just la- they just threw it together last minute. Again, the rematch between Nyla and Akarashida. They've had some time that they could have built it up, but they didn't. They just said, oh, by the way, this match has happened. Yeah. We said it a while ago that when uh, Nyla Rose, I think, lost the title, that there, there was nobody else. They were just going to have to go back to it immediately. And that... Like a few months later, that's exactly what they've had to do because they've prepared nobody. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if they planned on signing Thunder Rosa at this point or something like that. No, I, but why? What honestly, I know AEW sounds like a lovely place to work, but why would she want to go there? Like, in terms of TV time and, and getting to kind of have the matches and everything, you look at it and you go, it's been over a year and nothing has changed. It's actually a little worse. It's massively worse. And I think part of that is that they're still getting one match and it's kind of like four or five minutes. And part of it is that the time that's gone past and the the amount of Twitter strops that people, that Kenny Omega would have saying, give them time, it's not easy. Well, you're making it look fucking difficult. <laughs> I'll give you that. So like, like, just, it's not difficult I, I... to give them two matches on a show. Yeah, I'm again talking about stuff on like on Twitter. I shared something with you guys. I think I shared it in the main Rogue Avengers group chat. It was like saying about how like Akashida, sorry, Serena Deep versus uh, the NWA title match, I think lost like 80, 80 something plus viewers from at that particular like quarter, whereas the uh, Yusha Rai Cancellary match actually gained like 23,000. And that's when AEW was putting on Pentagon versus Omega. Hmm. Because everyone wants to be a, an expert about ratings. Yeah, it's uh, it speaks volumes to that does so speak volumes to when you book something well and you you tell a story, people get more invested because they'll start to care about the characters. But just putting like the NWA Women's Champion out there against Scott, what did you call it? Budget Ronda Rousey. Uh, I I said shrunken like she, Ronda Rousey's been a bit in the tumble dryer. Okay, tumble dried Ronda Rousey. Like that's not 
gonna cut it especially when it's not even your champion because some people be looking at why do i care about the nwa championship like it's obviously a prestigious title in terms of its lineage for wrestling fans but it's not even your title what are you doing kenny yeah yeah i mean as you said nathan it's they are sure making it look pretty fucking difficult but then when you look over at nxt who has like i i mean i i'm not the first person to say it i'm sure i won't be the last um that nxt has the best women's division going right now they they they're they're able to set up multiple stories you have even if you don't like necessarily give a shit there was two matches and a promo leading up to next week for a third women's story that's going on two of which aren't even involving the title they're just stories and it's not very difficult if you have first of all Hikaru Shida has not been on dynamite except for some promos in a while like she hasn't really defended the title in a little while either she beat Layla Hirsch the night before on dark and then Layla Hirsch gets an NWA title shot against fucking Serena Deep. Where is the... Where's anything? Like, yeah. There's nothing going on. Like, I know everyone kind of moaned about Brandy Rose when she was doing her weird gothic family thing last year. Uh, but, like, why can't... Like, even why can't Brandy Rhodes be out there 10 stories? Or just do... Just do, just do something. Like, just make an effort. You say NXT manages to do it, and Halloween Havoc that we're going to talk about later. Like, you got Io Shirai main eventing the show. Uh, you got Rhea Ripley out there with Raquel Gonzalez as well. They're telling proper stories that are actually built. Mm-hmm. Not just, oh, here's the NWA champion, so you automatically care. And it's just, it's kind of just pathetic. Like, it's just, there's just no effort, and it's clear there's no effort. John Spears was on Dynamite, and Shida was on Dark this week. And that is arse backwards. It really is. Sean Spears apparently has a 10-match winning streak. 11 after he beat VSK, who, no offense to the guy, but who? You know, like, and he beat him in fucking five seconds or something. He threw him up in the fucking the Death Valley driver, and he fucking beat him. Like, what? Yeah. Sean Spears is out there beating people that sound like an Alco pop. God damn it. For a minute, he sounds like, like a fucking... He sounds like a fucking serial killer from the 80s. Oh. God, we've really hit a bleak point in this show. We still got Kenny Omega against Pentagon Jr. Yeah, let's just move swiftly along to Kenny versus uh, Penta, who, um, uh, thanks to... Uh, the returning WTF moments on Cultaholic. I found out that JR called him Tenta. So, uh, ten, uh, John Tenta El Zero Miedo took on Kenny Omega. <laughs> God, you got Otis doing El Grand Gordo. Now Earthquake's a luchador. God um, damn. What, so, I, these, the entrance for Kenny Omega is, like, fine and, and everything. But, like, if we had cut that down, maybe, maybe Kenny could give a little bit more time to the ladies. Because it takes fucking 45 seconds to get his list of accomplishments out. I don't get the whole North Carolina thing either. Is that like a thing? Like, like during his entrance, it, North Carolina is always mentioned at the end. I mean, I think the average length of a women's match right now in AEW is the combined length of Kenny's entrance and Cody's. Jesus, yeah. It's not. 
God. It really kind of annoys you because you did that bit earlier where it's like, talk about Effie's thing, that it doesn't matter what wrestling it is as long as it's good wrestling. And then you just reach parts of kind of shows where it's just kind of anti-good wrestling. Mm-hmm. Right. Kenny's in charge of the women's division. They get no time, but he can have cheerleaders. And <sighs> my my problem... My problem with Kenny and Penta on this show specifically was is they did too goddamn much. They did too goddamn much. This wasn't a pay-per-view. Like, why are you out there for pretty much the entirety of the time limit when you have, like, this isn't a pay-per-view? You know what I'm saying, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the match itself was good. You know, you had Kenny, like, reminding Phoenix that, hey, remember, I beat you for this. Triple A belt again, another belt better picked than the the EW women's belt. Like EW seemingly to pick and choose what belts they care about because Cody even said that he thinks the most important belt in all of EW is the TNT belt over the world belt. And well, that's because like, he can't like, he can't fight for the world title, so it doesn't matter. It has to be in the middle of the show. Yeah. Like I, one thing I'll say is now but I don't want to be a typical like Jim Cornette or someone on Twitter like, oh, Kenny and the Bucks don't know anything about psychology. But it was one moment that I think would make a whole lot of, a lot of difference. Like Kenny, they say that oh, his right arm is the arm he used to hook up for the one winged angel, and Pentagon does the arm break spot, uh, and then Kenny just does the one winged angel with that arm anyway, and like he does he does shots with that arm and sells it. But then like if he just done it and then hooked it with the left arm instead. Like, so now he had to, like, change it up a little bit and still got the win. That would have made all the difference. But the fact he just went, oh, I'm just going to use this arm anyway. Hit the move. I win now. To yeah. that point, to that point, uh, Orange Cassidy did the same thing earlier on. He took a fucking really vicious-looking uh, dragon screw through the ropes. And then literally four seconds later, he's running at full speed to mm-hmm. wrestle Cody. And I think that this is the kind of thing that shouldn't be overlooked. Like, they're all... They all don't go places to do shows. Some of them do go off and do some shows and stuff every once in a while and stuff. But for the most part, the guys who are guys and girls who are on Dynamite are all in the same little area. And these are things that you should be working on, right? Mm-hmm. I think to to just look at it the other way, I actually I really don't like that arm break spot because I feel like. It's it's one. It's been quite overdone, and two. It looks so devastating that yeah, you're right. They shouldn't be able to use that arm again, but they have to. Like they can't not for the rest of the match because it looks like they're literally trying to break their arm and your elbow should shatter. So you're already kind of losing a little bit of the immersion there because the move is so devastating looking. But how do you carry on doing a doing the rest of the match Kenny has to hit his one winged angel at some point he has to do things so is is it the fact the move kind of looks a little bit too gruesome and is done all the time how do people actually carry on a match if that move is involved and not make it look kind of a little bit hokey I mean I think what happens generally speaking is is like I was saying is that you know not to sound like a fucking 80 year old wrestling uh person uh, but like they do, they do too goddamn much. Uh, fucking uh, Kenny Omega has his arm like fucked up for a big portion of the match. Takes a lot of damage to it. Then he hits Penta with like 
140 V triggers and Penta kicks out. You know, that's yeah. one way that you could go through it. He he hits him with the V triggers over and over again. Then Penta hits uh, Kenny Omega with a Canadian destroyer to the ramp, rolls him back out uh, back inside, then hits him with a package pile driver and Kenny kicked out. It is. Yeah, I don't like it when things are so overdone. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the shit out of this match and pretty much every other match on the show. But if you peel that onion back like one layer, you see that it doesn't smell very good. You know what but I'm saying? But then this is this is what kind of appeals to to, or to the independents, isn't it? This is kind of like a lot of why people love AEW is they get that kind of independent wrestling or Jap- and mix with a bit of Japanese style kind of in the main event. So it does appeal to those sorts of people and that is though i kind of agree i don't really like it when you see someone get completely fucked up get piled pile driven get knees to the head repeatedly and they kick up and make a kind of a miraculous comeback uh three seconds later i'm not really big on that style but it does kind of it does work for a lot of people and listen i work in in indie wrestling and i like the matches and stuff but for a weekly television program you sort of have to go okay you guys have you know the rest of tv time remaining but i would shoot maybe four or five minutes shorter than that yeah or just not do canadian destroyers every fucking week and i hate to sound like pt williams although he's got a right to because he made the move but can we stop it it is a transitional move now it really is what was the one that i saw uh was it rafe rafe phoenix it did it like the week before on Penta. I'm sure they did, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. They did 12 more as well. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, uh, Phoenix didn't, like, leap to the outside and from the top rope to the outside, like, went, like, head over handlebars and then spun out and did a Canadian. Um, not to say, like I said, not to say that these matches were bad. It was just, like, at the end of the two hours, I was like, whew, okay. Um, that was a lot of graps, you know, that was like, it's weird. It's weird when the singles match in the main event of a W dynamite on Wednesday was less like a wrestling match than like, or was more kind of over the top than the main event of WWE hell in a cell. Like Randy on drew was more kind of fighty and kind of standard wrestling than this was. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Scott, do you share a lot of the same uh, viewpoints that we've been repeating and stressing for the last few minutes? The Halloween Havoc was nice, wasn't it? <laughs> like, no offense to you, know, but I just don't want to talk about this anymore because, well, I, I do agree. I don't want to get into this sort of thing about matches. Like, there will be matches where I enjoy it, and then the matches where I'm like, this is just too much. And like, like I said, it was a good match overall. But again, as soon as like Pentagon locked in the, the arm band and Kenny didn't fight over, they hit the the spot. I was like, he's this is not this is not going to affect the finish of the match at all. I could see it coming, and I don't like being that way. I want to just sit down and just enjoy the weekly wrestling. But as like, this is what happens when you have a company of people who are all friends and all came up through the Indies together. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it was a it, overall. It, I think it was a pretty decent show. There are a little, there are a couple things, obviously, that we spoke about in length that um, maybe need to get worked on. But you know, say lovey, it is what it is. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm still looking forward to full gear. I'm. I think personally, I think I what I discovered on this show that stands out to me the most is that Hangman's kind of my guy right now. I kind of really just feel that his matches are exactly as brutal as they need to be. The story is there now that it's moving again. Uh, the gear change was big. I love that. Um, the entrance is great. I I think Hangman, for me, comes out of this as, like, the MVP of, of this show. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I'm a Sean Spears guy. <laughs> what a heel See, turn. Just love him through and through. I like that he gets in, does his business, gets out. For yeah. what it's worth, what it's worth, AEW, NXT did win the ratings this week, but you know there's probably a bunch of shit about demos I don't understand, and there's probably but forty reasons why this isn't a good thing because NXT are arseholes or whatever, and they took Halloween Havoc. I mean, you definitely had people, you definitely had people who were um, clamoring to see Halloween Havoc and whether or not they'd bring back the uh, giant pumpkin. So let's go right over to the Capital Wrestling Center for NXT Halloween Havoc 2020. Hopefully this is a year a yearly thing. Uh, a lot of big matches on the card. We're going to go through them all really quickly here. Um, show opens up. Um, uh, the whole set is all spooky. There's, you know, uh, dilapidated shacks and the wheel is real. Thank Jesus. Um, Shotzi Blackheart looked amazing uh, on this show and all of her costume changes. Really fell in love with Shotzi over the last couple of weeks, uh, more so than when she was coming out in the little tank. Um, and then they had the giant inflatable pumpkin. Thank fuck Walmart was open this week uh, in Florida. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so then we move right in. We open the show with the NXT North American Championship. Damian Priest versus Johnny Gargano. Spin the wheel, make the deal match for the NXT North American Championship. Um, and uh, they spun the wheel, they made the deal, and the deal was... I believe it was a Devil's Playground match. Uh, pin, no disqualifications. Pinfalls count anywhere. No, uh, no DQ. No countouts. All that kind of shit. Um, Vic Joseph was dressed as Waldo, and um, That's a very good one. I could see him easily. I was about to say I couldn't find him. Just, uh, I mean, Beth Phoenix was dressed as a ghost. I couldn't see her the whole show. Um, fucking, oh, I thought she was John Cena. And nice. Um, and Wade Barrett was back to being bad news Barrett, so he showed up with a gavel. Good for him. Um, just to make fun of Vic Joseph, which made made me pop specifically because you big time and fuck deserve it. Um, and uh, there's a priest gets a guitarist to play a remix of Priest theme, which I thought was actually kind of cool. It was like a fitting tribute to Eddie Van Halen. Uh, the match was pretty good. And in the end, Johnny Gargano uh, comes away with the victory after someone in a scream costume, the ghost face costume, comes out, attacks Damian Priest on the stage in front of the wheel with an iron with a lead pipe. Uh, Johnny hits the uh, swinging DDT, hits him with a uh, tombstone over the head. Damian Priest takes a tumble to the outside, crashes through the dilapidated shack on the outside. Johnny Gargano crawls over for the victory. And Johnny Gargano is the first ever two-time, two-time NXT North American champion. Uh, really good to see this match. Really enjoyed it. Um, still don't get 
the Damian Priest thing. But luckily, we don't have to deal with it much longer because Johnny Gargano has the title. Yay! He came out looking like Jack Skeleton. Awesome. Um, Scott, what did you think of the opening contest of Halloween Havoc 2020? I was actually shocked that they had the giant pumpkin because I didn't think they'd be able to get one inside of the Gavel Wrestling Center and then heel Johnny Gargano just bursts it within the oh, opening yeah. of the show just to be a dick. <laughs> uh, part of me wants the next week for this ghost face person to come out and reveal that it's David Arquette under oh, his, He under stole his, my joke. He's one of the few people who I can remember was in Scream. And like, if we can have Pat McAfee leading a heel stable, then why can't we have bloody... David Arquette aligned with Candice and Johnny. Uh, I enjoyed Priest's entrance. It was a decent match. I'm, I'm glad that this brand new concept, the Devil's Playground match, had a handy graphic explaining the rules ready just in case the wheel happened to land on it. So, you know, that was handy. Um, I'm curious of how, if they actually decide, like, let's actually just wait, wait, let the wheel decide, or are we going to actually gimmick this wheel? Because I'm pretty sure there are stories about the reason they got the Cole Mayer's glove match and why it was so crap is that they actually just decided, like, let's just determine the matches by the wheel for real and weren't expecting Cole Mayer's glove to win and Ding and Jake just had to go out and make make it work somehow. But I doubt they'd probably do that in modern day. I don't know. I remember um, Jericho telling his story about Tabby Tuesdays when he had to face Shelton Benjamin. And I know it's kind of totally different to this concept, but they actually didn't know and did let it be up to the fans. So when Shelton was coming to the ring, he was Jericho was having to was finding out what the finish was from Charles Robinson. And then he said, oh, Shelton going over with his finisher and Jericho going, what's his finisher? <laughs> oh. That is, that is pretty fantastic. Um, so, uh, I mean, you know, with the whole... With with what was going on in the first match, it was uh, it was entertaining enough, and luckily Jar- Johnny Gargano won the title. Um, Nathan, where do you see Gargano what's going? You, what's here? your thing with Damian Priest? I just don't I ask get you it. every podcast. I just don't get, and I say the same thing every podcast. I don't yeah, get do. it. <laughs> it's not good. I don't get it's it. Fine. He he has an interesting voice, I guess, and his matches are are good uh, when he's with somebody else who's good, and he reminds me of Chris Angel. Um, and he yeah, likes you ladies. You say the same thing every podcast, you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to find something else. I'm trying to find something um, else to say, but like, there's not Johnny a lot Go- there. <laughs> on Johnny Gargano, I'd like to see him carry on doing all his all his hill shtick, carry on having fancy dinners on like videos, like with the title and like feeding the title and things like that. But mostly, I want to see him kind of copy. Which sounds really horrible because we just had a massive go at him, but it's kind of copying what Cody Rose does, but actually just being a heel of just having some kick-ass matches again, and just kind of getting some people, getting some challenges going. He can cheat to win all the matches if he wants, and kind of be the Gargano way. But I just like to see him have some make this kind of what the Intercontinental Title used to be of just the workhorse belt of NXT, and just having some kick-ass matches continuing his heel work and then find the right guy to beat him. And then Johnny Gargano can kind of, when the time is right, go back up to try and challenge for the main title again. But yeah, mostly yeah. I want to see him feeding the title. <laughs> With a spoon and some like, like yep. soup or something. And you just hear clink. Yeah. I don't even want, don't animate the title. So it's got a mouth. I want to see him just pouring food on it and going so insane. And so, right. So he ends up turning into Gollum. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing to happen to an NXT title belt. 
Oof, she gave her neck for this company. Yeah, well, <laughs> shouldn't be taking a piss out of her, should we? God, we're so horrible. <laughs> just gets one just gets one oh, kick in the oh, face oh. and turns into a fucking Pez dispenser. Anyway. Yeah, god um, damn it. Let, let's let's turn that page. Um, so Pat McAfee uh, and the Brit Ann Brawlers make their way to the ring. We get a replay of the ending of last week's main event, and we hear from Pat McAfee for a long time. I like him. I think the promo was very good, but they let him go on a little bit too long. Um, and then we're, they go to commercial while they, you know, while they get to the ring, and then we see Cameron Grimes backstage with William Regal, uh, who is being very spooky and mysterious, and I love him for it. Um he then tells him that a car is waiting for him in the parking lot. Regal escorts him to the parking lot. Pat McAfee, Danny Burch, and Oni Lorkin are in the ring. They talk for a while uh, about um, how Halloween Havoc is the second best night in NXT history. The first, uh, the biggest night was NXT TakeOver 30 uh, for his debut match. He's getting booed the fuck out of the building. He runs down the crowd, calls them all, you know, marks and stuff. Uh, talks about how Adam Cole disrespected him after beating him up. Says he couldn't talk. I think about how big of a bum Adam Cole was that he's the one who hired Rich Holland uh, by getting him a Mercedes. And then Rich Holland got injured by um, Oni Lorcan. And then he called Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. And it wasn't until after the Undisputed Era beat them that they called him back and said, let's do this. Uh, they call for a mic, but before they can say anything, Undisputed Era's music hits and Kyle O'Reilly comes out by himself. Uh, all of a sudden, Pete Dunn's music hits, which uh, even though I knew this was going to happen, hearing the the sound of his music start, I, I popped for it. Um, he then does turn on Kyle O'Reilly, and uh, yeah, they just sort of stomp him away, and um, McAfee gets the mic back and says that they're the new kings of NXT, and they're going to take over this brand, 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 hashtag brand warfare. Um, I love how much it makes sense this makes. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Nathan. Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with Sondra on you and say how much sense this makes. Remember who turned on Pete Dunne at NXT TakeOver New Orleans? Oh, I know. Oh, I know. It, oh, it, all make, it all makes sense. Uh, Pat McAfee was born to do this. Yeah, he really I, was. I know he went on a little bit too long, and he's super annoying, but he's super annoying in all the right ways. Uh, just a quick thing on Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. Uh, do you remember the NXT tag team match tag team title match they had with Undisputed Era a couple of years ago, and it was the opener of a takeover. Takeover Chicago 2. Yeah, and I watched that, uh, not live, I watched that the next day with my little brother, and he loved only Lorcan and Danny Birch. And this was, when was this, about two years ago, do you reckon? Uh, yeah, give or take, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he was like, oh, I can't wait to see more of their matches. And I was like, oh, they're kind of jobbers that just got a good opening match for no reason. But here they are. Turns out he's a great talent scout. And uh, because they're playing this role super well, we all know it's going to end in war games. War games. Uh, war, war games. games. Uh, but what a great story. And I think the Pete Dunne thing makes all the sense in the world. It's finally come back to kind of bite Undisputed Era uh, with the whole Roderick Strong thing on Pete Dunne ages ago. And great story. It's going to be a great match. I don't know how... I, do you think they put Pat McAfee in war games? Do you think there's enough bells and whistles around that match to put in someone with such little experience? Or do you think they call yes. in kind of a reinforcements? Like, <laughs> all right, yeah. fuck it, let's I'm just throw it in. And, yeah. and let's, let's put barbed wire on the top of it. 
as well. But unless they do something like they did with Kevin Owens last year and they call in a reinforcement. I mean, it's possible. I don't know. I don't know when they're going to do TakeOver War Games because I don't think they're doing a TakeOver before uh, Survivor Series this year. And would the War Games, like the two rings and everything, fit in the Capitol Wrestling Center? Jimmy, they're going to put it on TV. Oh, could you fucking imagine? You know they are. They're going to put it on TV. They're going to do a no commercials thing. And they're going to get like a million views. Oh, man. Oh, man, I feel like I really upset you. <laughs> Had you not considered that? No, I didn't. I honestly didn't think that they would be that petty. It's um, going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't know. Scott, Scott, talk me off my ledge, dude. <laughs> <leader. laughs> Do a flip. <laughs> <laughs> Always there to support me, man. And I appreciate that about you. Oh. But yeah, okay. what do you what, what do you think of this this whole uh this new faction that's forming with uh Pat McAfee at the helm? I I think I have made my feelings about Pat McAfee abundantly clear on this podcast before. I hate the man. I can't stand him. So let's roll for a minute is perfect. I wanted at first I was like I wanted Lorcan Perch to have a, like a proper storyline and this is like the first proper push they've gotten in a long time. Even though you know it's gonna end and like it's gonna end horribly in war games for them. And I was like, do they really need McAfee to get this? They had to be sad with this prick, but then I thought like, no, I'm gonna give it a chance, you know, let's see where this goes because he is perfect for this role. Pete Dunn again, he even tweeted out a, a clip, the clip from New Orleans when Roger Strong attacked him saying, I don't forget. And like it's cool to see what he's been doing since like February and March when we last saw him. That boy is built. It's hench, as they say. Did you see mean the, um, and mean? Did you see Randy Orton's tweet a couple yeah. weeks ago? Oh, and he said like, "Oh, um, drinking Tito's and watching the network. Pete Dunne is jacked as fuck." And this was eight. This is from about a week ago, and it was, he sent it apparently at like three in the morning his time. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I love the kind of like the bro that Randy Orton has to be in real life, just sitting around three in the morning, getting a little pissed. I bet he's such a chill dude in real life. Like, I know he's got a bit of a, like, let me tell you, six days ago, he just wrote, Timothy Oliphant is the fucking man. (laughs) Oh, you guys watching Fargo this season? Because he fucking is. 10 past 8 a.m. UK time. So let's say Randy Orton is about quarter past midnight. (laughs) What a lad. Oh, this is it. With everything that is going on, all i got to say is, at Pete Dunne is jacked as fuck. What I loved is, like, Lorcan and Birch don't really talk a lot, and I don't think they need to now they've got Pat McAfee, but I did love, like, uh, when they go to hit their, like, finisher on uh, Kyle O'Reilly, and uh, Pat McAfee adds the chair for them to do it on, you just hear Danny Birch loudly, don't mind if I do. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was pretty great. Don't mind if I do. All right, fucking on yourself. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, I this was this was segment of the week on both shows for me. I thought this was outstanding. I thought this was really cool. Dunn coming back is really fantastic. Uh, O'Reilly being sort of on his own because everyone else has been injured out essentially is uh, really interesting, and I can't wait to see what happens here. Are we all sort of in agreement for that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
100%. Well, backstage, Cameron Grimes begs William Regal to come with him, but uh, Regal insists that Grimes leaves on his own. A creepy van pulls up to escort Cameron Grimes, and Grimes gets in before, uh, the, uh, before the van drives off. We will, ladies and gentlemen, be coming back to that very shortly. Back from commercial and Jake Atlas. He's being in the van. Oh, that's right. The thing I'm the thing I'm reading from here didn't didn't have that. But yes, Michael P. S. Hayes came out just all like doot doot doot. Fucking thanks for the ride, baby doo ba doo, and whatever. Uh, in an outstanding creamsicle colored uh, tracksuit mm. and a fedora. Could you say if you if you didn't book the taxi, don't get in the taxi. That's just a little P. S. A. for everyone. Yes, yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. But uh, yeah, thanks for the reminder there, Scott, because that was uh, that was entertaining that, to see him do that. Um, next up is uh, Jake, Jake Atlas versus the NXT Cruiserweight Champion Santos Escobar with Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde in a non-title match. This match is whatever. Uh, Santos Escobar came out dressed as a mix between Darby Allen and 1997 Halloween Havoc Rey Mysterio. Cool. Good for him. Awesome. Let's talk about Dexter Loomis versus Cameron Grimes in the Haunted House of Terror match because whole shit we get back from commercial and it pulls up like a like a grindhouse sort of uh uh title card and this creepy van pulls up and grimes escapes he calls out to loomis loomis where are you it's camera grimes um asking loomis where he is you see loomis in the background like in a tree uh just watching him but grimes doesn't see him Grimes enters the house and is spooked by everything inside, like a stuffed deer's head and a tricycle. When he sees the tricycle, he goes, you got kids, Loomis? Um, <laughs> Loomis is seen entering after Grimes, still watching him. Grimes enters a new room and sees a creepy-looking referee standing in the corner, a la the Blair Witch Project. Uh, he turns around, and he's all like, Aah! and it scares the shit out of him. Loomis then bursts into the room and uh, pins Grimes against the wall. Um, it was at this point for about a minute or two, uh, the lighting probably needed to get worked on because, um, you couldn't see a lot of it that happened in this room, whether that's intentional or not, who knows? Um, they shatter a mirror. Grimes runs into a room and locks the door. Loomis kicks down the door. Uh, Grimes runs into a bathroom. He sees a, sh- a, a shadow of a woman in the shower. Grimes takes off his coat and his hat and he's just like, oh, well, I didn't know Loomis had a sister. Um, and but the woman in the shower appears to be some sort of ghostly creature who scares the shit out of Grimes. She comes out going and like all bent over backwards and fucking just like decaying looking. Um, Grimes runs out of the bathroom and runs around saying he wants to leave. Loomis enters through a window and uh, begins to choke Grimes out. Grimes claws at Loomis's eyes and escapes, but Grimes runs into more ghostly creatures. So at this point, Scott. What are you thinking? Before I go on uh, a little bit more into all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, what am I watching? And how can I get more of it? Yeah. Because this is just, like, so cheesy, but in the best way, like, it needed to be. And, like, I do agree there were some lighting issues, like, it was hard to see at points. Also, I'm really upset that when they, Loomis started breaking in the door, he didn't have an axe with him, and we didn't get any Shining references. Like, that was the one thing that was missing for me. But, like, the most perfect moment for me, kind of, and this is, like, Loomis just, per- just casually just hanging around in a tree as if, like, this is probably what he does with his evening when he's not wrestling. He's channeling that Dexter that Dexter limited series that's coming, um, and just he's in full-on uh, chase mode. 
Um, so before the first, the end of the first part, we see Loomis uh, chasing Grimes into a kitchen where Grimes grabs a weapon before being attacked by even more ghostly women or zombies, whatever you prefer. Um, one of them jumps on his back and Grimes runs out with the woman still on his back. He tosses her off of his back and sees the other ghostly figures chasing him. Grimes runs into the van to escape and says, drive, drive, drive. But Dexter Loomis is in the driver's seat of the van. Grimes runs out of the van and runs away into the distance. We see a message that says to be continued to be continued and we go back to the arena now nathan just hearing the way that was described were you able to picture it in your head were you able to get a get a fully painted picture uh enough to be able to be like i need to see this again and again and again or were you just like this is this is pissed i i need to to see this again and again and again uh it it's just sounds perfect absolutely perfect there's no other way around it it sounds like something a god made and handed down to all the people and went this is how you should live follow these teachings follow these teachings just yeah yeah, just just be just be who you want to be and do what you want to do yeah um yeah, this this was fantastic. Um, I was on such a high after this that Rhea Ripley versus Ra- Raquel Gonzalez, all, albeit a good match, um, just didn't register to me as much just because like I was still contemplating what was going on in my life after watching that. I mean, am I alone on that, Scott? No, I was very much the same. Like, it was in a weird place on the show, I think. Uh, so it was hard to kind of like focus on this. And it's a shame because, you know, there's this is one of the matches that proper build. Like, because they, they promoted it at the start along with the two spin the wheel matches. So they made it seem like this is one of the marquee matches of the night. But again, it was hard to kind of focus on. And like, Rhea Ripley was the right thing. And also, I meant, I didn't mention it earlier, but I didn't really have much to say about the Cruiserweight match either. Because like, randomly, Raul Mendoza puts a mask on. For some reason, midway through, has to help interfere behind the rest back, even though the referee can't see him, and he just takes it off again immediately afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I just because they beat the like they beat the fuck out of each other in this match, and it was entertaining. It was very good. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot, but like it being in like you said, the weird space space that it was on the um, the card, it made it hard to uh, try and watch it as like a complete show it may be something would you agree that maybe it's something you'd have to go back and try and watch in like in a bubble almost yeah i think watching it in isolation would uh, help it but as part of the show it sadly like it sadly was in the back of my mind after like this match and then the two like spin the wheel matches and uh of course rhea ripley gets the win at the end of this uh very brutal contest nathan do you think uh, that was the right decision, or is it maybe time to start focusing on uh, other characters? No, I think it's probably the right decision. I think Rankel Gonzalez is such an upside. Uh, she's going to be fine, and she's going to get her opportunities. But it's important for the NXT Women's Division, uh, if Rhea Ripley is sticking around in it and not moving on to Raw or SmackDown, which hopefully she doesn't, uh, it's important to get her back, kind of back up the card, and I think there's a lot of money uh still in kind of an eo and uh rhea ripley feud oh or maybe rhea ripley faces i know i know you don't you're not a huge fan jimmy because she's so tiny but candice LeRae as well to be a match that i would kind of be into seeing 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that could work because I'm a big fan of like bigger competitors taking on smaller competitors. Those usually end up pretty good. Um, so we cut to footage of Cameron Grimes running down the street shouting, help me, help, help Cameron Grimes. Uh, and Vic Joseph asks the obvious question, is Cameron Grimes coming back to the Capitol Wrestling Center? Um, obviously. Uh, but it's like one of my favorite shots that they've ever done. Like you just see him sweaty and running down the street at full pace. And it's fantastic. But another one of my top segments of the entire week, we come back from commercial and Drake Maverick is dressed as Hollywood Hulk Hogan and is being interviewed about his tag team aspirations. And he's just going like, hey, you know something, Mean Gene? Let me tell you. And of course, the interviewer is cutting him off like, but, but I'm not I'm not Mean Gene and you're not Hulk Hogan. And he stops and he just goes, I mean, could you play along, please? Could you just, just real please? Play along. Can you be cool? Just once. Just once be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. And then someone dressed as the giant and someone dressed as the Yeti, like, come up and, like, do that thing from Night at the Roxbury where they just sort of, like, sandwich the, they sandwich Drake Maverick for some reason. And you just see, and I shit you not, Nathan, this happens. Killian Dane comes out dressed as the Shockmaster. <laughs> And Maverick is upset with Dane because he didn't trip during his entrance into the room. So he puts on the Shockmaster masks and trips on his own. That was it. That's that just what it. everyone needed. That is the exact thing that people need in, in their lives. It, perfect. I mean, how perfect is Killian Dane and and uh, Drake Maverick here? I did, I did love again, like the whole like he just can you not just play along like the whole um he said to the interviewer and then he, like he said like why did not you fall over that like, oh that thing you left for me like no I didn't I didn't do that and then when Drake Maverick does fall a uh, Gillian Dean does the roll line he fell on his arse. <laughs> just a lot of fun, just a lot a lot of fun. As we were talking about this off the air, that uh like I like we all are pretty much a fan of wrestling shows that have a bit of variety to them. And I think that that's what uh, overall uh, Halloween Havoc like did like really, really well is that it had like a lot of different shit, spooky, fun shit going on. It was fantastic. Um, Cameron Grimes is outside. Oh, I'm sorry. Cameron Grimes is outside the Capitol Wrestling Center and he enters back through the door that he exited through. Grimes is seen stumbling around through the scenery on the side of the stage. Uh, which the way that they shot it, it almost looked like he warped back into an actual cemetery for a second. And it was it actually I it took me a second to remind myself that they had that stuff on the stage. So, well, I mean, fair play that they they did that. It looked very, very good. Two of the women from the haunted house uh, have followed Grimes back into the arena and chase him into the ring. The entire time he's getting chased back into the ring, he's like, stop it. Stop. Help. Stop it. Stop it. Because I'm Cameron Grimes. Stop it. Had me dying. <laughs> dying the whole time. Dexter Loomis enters behind uh, Grimes. Loomis tosses Grimes across the ring, then hits a bulldog on him. Grimes gets a boot up in Loomis's face, but Loomis hits uh, Grimes with a spine buster. This part was actually pretty cool uh, that they had like a pretty decent like 30 seconds to a minute where they were actually just wrestling instead of fighting. Um, then the zombie women start surrounding Grimes. Uh, Grimes hits one of the zombies with his finisher, the cave-in, and uh, they are just at a loss for words on commentary. It is astounding to hear them just go, I, I think a zombie just got hit with the cave-in. Fantastic. <laughs> a zombie woman climbs onto Loomis's shoulders and, like, crawls around him, which was a really interesting, um, like, a really interesting image. Um, 
and he's just crawling all over him, and she sits on his shoulders. He lifts up he lifts up the zombie woman. Loomis hit uh, lifts up the zombie woman over his head and throws uh, her on to Grimes. Um, then he hits him with a uranagi and locks in his finishing move, the silence. Grimes passes out, and as the music plays, the zombie women enter the ring uh, and just surround Grimes as he's unconscious. Uh, unconscious. The lights go out in the background, and Loomis walks directly up to the thing, staring through the camera, and the words, the end, appear on the screen, and we cut to a commercial. Holy shit, I couldn't have loved this stuff more. I have so many good things to say about it, but I'm going to defer to you, Scott. Gush about this match with me. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he hit the cave and one of the zombies, and like the one thing I thought was missing, I thought they were going to do is, like, the zombies were going to get a pile on Karen Graves at one point, and then he just emerged from the smoke. I don't know if this was edited or pre-edited or not, but then he'd appear from the smoke with, like, zombie makeup on, like, now Cameron Graves' new gimmick is he's a zombie now, which maybe maybe they thought was a bit too far, but, again, this is, like, as cheesy as it needed to be. Because, like, my complaint I mentioned on the, the COVID uh, Cinematic Matches tournament that the two that we got from NXT is that they don't know what they want the matches to be. They don't want, know if they want these like cinematic matches to be too silly or too serious, or so that they try to be both. But then we are like, this is Halloween. This is, like, look at who we've got involved in this. This is what this needs to be, and they just did it perfectly. And again, like right at the commentators, it's so weird they couldn't even process the fact that he just hit his finisher on a zombie until like a couple of minutes after it happened. And just like the look on of confusion on Way Barrett's face just told the whole story. And I definitely think that Loomis is the rightful like next guy to fight uh, Johnny Gargano for the North American title. That's a solid pull. Solid pull. Uh, Nathan, how many more times are you going to watch this match in its entirety for the rest of your life? Uh, I think I'm going to make it some sort of ritual. I think that's the best way to celebrate Dexter Loomis as our new god. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, Sunday's already taken. So, I mean, I'm probably going to go for every Tuesday. Excellent. It's better yeah. than watching Dark. <laughs> Anything's better than watching Dark. Um, so, we get a brief video package for Io Shirai and Candice LeRae. That's coming up a little later. Shotzi Blackheart is now dressed as the devil. I will say before I've said it before. I will say it again. Her costume changes were fantastic. She looked fantastic. She was a really solid addition as the host. Um, Scott, what did you think of uh, Shotzi Blackheart throughout the show, considering we're getting close to, to the sort of end of uh, her segments here? I think it was just like the perfect role for her, because like I said, like I don't know what she's maybe. I think her whole thing with the the tank was maybe a. A take of Sammy Gavard taking a picture one time with a, with a similar looking tank. So it was nice for her to like, do her own thing. And you got to think when she heard that the, she was probably the one of the people who like wanted to do this role. When she heard they were doing Halloween, she was really like, please let me be a part of this. And like she again, she was a bit over the top with the way she did her delivery. But again, it's Halloween Havoc. Like the whole vibe of this is over the top. So just go with it. And I hope like limit the annual thing and I hope she's involved every time. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I just I I fell in love with her so much before uh after the show. This is uh, so good for her and I hope that she has a lot of good things coming. Um we come back from commercial and Tommaso Champa is cutting a promo on the Velveteen Dream. 
<sighs> that match is going to happen next week. Anyway, um, da, 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 da. and also Dakota Kai and Ember Moon are announced for next week. Uh, we get to our main event of the evening, the NXT Women's Championship, Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. Uh, spin the wheel, make the deal match becomes tables, ladders, and scares. Ooh. Um, oh, I thought it was stairs. I honestly thought they said tables, ladders, and stairs. Oh, see, I heard... Oh, actually, it says stairs here that I'm reading, but I heard it as tables, ladders, and scares. Maybe, oh, it's, maybe, mm. it's, maybe it's my whimsy. I'm not sure. I did, I did so appreciate the inclusion of the oh my, especially given I'm watching 2000 Smackdown at the moment. <laughs> Every Sunday on Break Opinions. <laughs> Lovely you plug. This Sunday. Yeah. Who have you got um, this Sunday? I've got Dits from Project Dits. Nice. Nice. Gonna be good. Uh, EO and Candice uh, have a great match. Um, they start before the matches even, they start even before the, uh, the ladder is, uh, the, the title is raised to where they would have to get a ladder for it. Um, a lot of insane bumps during this match. Candice LeRae really put, um, her career on the line and as did, uh, Io Shirai during this match. I think this was spectacular. It was a great way to go out. Um, they have two tables with like chalk line, but like body chalk lines on them. So good. <laughs> Um, the aesthetic of this whole show was just, they went really the extra mile, the whole show. And it really showed the ladders were black and, and orange. The ropes were orange. The tables had body, uh, chalk lines on them. Uh, Shotzi was out of control. This and match was, there was, a, there was a, I forgot. There was a bit of, I was, was going to say, we forgot to mention the ropes originally, but Candice pulls it at a table at one point and underneath it is a bag. She empties it and there's body parts and she sells it. Like she's actually found a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. And the commentators fucking cracked me up because they were like, are, are, are the and Wade Barrett just goes, anything's legal in tables, ladders, and scares. Like, it's just like, okay, all right, whatever, man. I'm I'm here for the ride. Um, they uh they they go through the tables and at the end, Eo uh, oh well, the ghost faced person comes back out now for Candace's match. And uh, after they go through the tables, he lifts her up and puts her all the way up to the top of the ladder. Uh, but then EO comes in and breaks that whole situation up, sets up her own ladder, and uh, EO pushes the ladder over, and Candace goes through a ladder on the outside of the ring really hard. She looks like she landed on her knees. Really, really rough stuff. And then Candace uh, is done here. EO uh, grabs the title and wins as we fade to black listening to... Um, we, we go out listening to, uh, Io Shirai's theme. Um, this match was fantastic. Scott, uh, let me know what you thought of the uh, main event here. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I did like the aesthetic of, like, again, the theme of the ladder being black and orange. Uh, shots they get involved to help stop, like, Gargano and, and the Ghostface person, whatever this was. I did like ITR's thing where they put up a thing of potential suspects. And then they put up a picture of Rikishi with catch underneath that has previous or something like that. <laughs> has uh, previous but, um, near murder experiences. And I, now I need someone to dub over the, the bit and scream where Ghostface calls Sydney with uh, just Bikishi being on the other end. But <laughs> <laughs> so the Candice bump, yeah, like she set up the ladder across the commentary table and that, so obviously wrestling logic means she must be the one to, to go through it. 
and I think you could tell she was kind of adjusting the position of her body as she was falling because she realised that she had to like clear the the ropes and not get caught there and then take the bump in there. It, it did not look great. I don't, I don't think there's a right way to land for a bump like that. And then obviously if that wasn't the finish, then you think like, how the hell is this going to end? Because they'd already taken out uh, the ghost face person. So it was, it was a great finish and it's very rare they do ladder matches on like VTV. So this was a really like, nice change of face. And also the fact that we didn't, I think there may be some people who may be mixed of relieved and disappointed that neither match was like coal miners club on a pole. <laughs> I, I think every sucked. match I think every match should have been spin the wheel make the deal. Fuck it. Uh, uh, yeah, just go for it. Every show should just be like a game show style. I'm with it. What NXT Family Fortunes? <laughs> yeah, why not? Of the Garganos against uh, there's no other families is a ever rise. They look like brothers. <laughs> One of them looks like like fat Matt Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does it. Does though, yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, but that was um. I mean, Nathan, what do you think of um the match and uh, the decision that EO? Retain the title, and who, if anybody, should take the title off of you? Uh, like the the bumps in the match was, uh, as you guys have said, are a bit stiff to watch. Uh, the, like Candice LeRae is used to kind of killing herself and everything like that. Uh, EO is the right person to be champion at the minute. I don't know who should be EO. Um, they don't really have anyone lined up just yet. I guess Rhea Ripley is the obvious choice to kind of move back up and to kind of face Io Shirai, but is it kind of too soon? Uh, I don't know. It feels like WrestleMania was about 10 years ago, but <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. So I don't really I don't really know who who's kind of there ready to go. I guess Ember Moon, right? Because they've already done Dakota Kai. So you could have Ember go over... Kai next week and then kind of move up to be the challenger or Mercedes Martinez could reappear out of nowhere uh, given that she's sacked off retribution I, yeah. I, I was kind of indifferent to Shotzi sort of Blackheart before she did this like before she became the host of uh, Halloween Havoc like I just didn't see what oh, a lot Shotzi. of people did but now she's done this I think like fuck it give, it, give, the, give her the belt because Every other potential person they've done before or has like been the champion before, so there's very little new I think to add there, other than maybe Ripley because like, like I think the whole thing with her and Charlotte should have been her beating Charlotte eventually, but they somehow did, for a reason they just didn't do that. I think as long as Shotzi Blackheart makes the tank part of her entrance still, but also the costume changes. <laughs> So she like crawls under the ring and then reappears on the other side in a completely different gear. What you want her to be like Roger from American Dad, just constantly changing outfits. Yeah, and she uses it to bamboozle her opponent. <laughs> just <laughs> fucking. Uh, but that that was NXT. That was the week in wrestling. Uh, plus Hell in a Cell. Um, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, coming here and hanging out with us. On the grapple update, um, also in wrestling news that it was announced this week, Netflix 
and WWE are going in on a multi-part documentary following Vince McMahon. Ooh. Uh, depending on how much uh, they're allowed to do or say or have access to. This should be very, very interesting, and apparently it's going to have a very, very large budget. So real quickly, before we go, I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on all of that. I'm going to start with Scott. Scott, documentary on Vincent Kennedy McMahon. What are you thinking? I think, again, I think maybe the fact that given it's an outside source and not WWE produced one, hopefully this will be more like in-depth and not them like, giving them only showing the things that WWE wants them to. I did see a thing with like Simpsons wrestling memes that perfectly summed up like hiring a director for this documentary and it's Mr. Burns with Vince's face over it hiring uh, Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nathan, so are, you, are you hopeful for this or is it just sort of like yeah, kind of being cautious? I think given it's Vince McMahon of the WWE, you've always got to go cautious and not expect too much. But I think the money being thrown at it's kind of got to tell you they're going to get some scoops. They're going to get some exclusives. Uh, They're going to get some good stuff, hopefully. But I feel like with Netflix, and again, if they're putting this much money behind it, if WWE are going to kind of be a bit you can have this but not this then it's they're gonna walk away and do something else more interesting or, or more that they've got more access to not more interesting uh but so cautiously optimistic i think would how i describe myself but i'm sure we're gonna hear all the rumors and everything about the arguments that take place about what they can and can't include uh so yeah Let's get let's, let's just get loads of interviews with Shane McMahon. I mean, hey, if it's done right, it can be you know it can be pretty juicy. Um, but you know what has been plenty juicy is this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So as we sputter <laughs> off into the sunset on two flat tires, running out of alcohol as we drive into the sunset. Um, I don't know where that fucking metaphor went, but uh, we are coming to the end here of the grapple up there. Thanks for joining us here, um, uh, Nathan. Give everybody your plugs, and we'll move around the horn. Yeah, don't drink and drive. Another PSA for everyone. <laughs> you can find me at uh, Nathan Greenaway on the Twitter. You can find Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinion. You can find us on the Nerdo Network as well. All our stuff goes on there as well as exclusive articles. Uh, you can listen to more of me over at the Project Dits as well. If you're into your football, just soccer. I'm there every Thursday covering what's happened in the week of football or soccer. But otherwise, just check back for the archives of Rogue Opinions. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Well, thank you, as always. Uh, Scott, the the uh, the Scottish sensation over <laughs> here. I know you got plenty of things coming up, so why don't you tell the people about it so they can find you, watch you, listen to you, do all the things. Well, I think it's an undisputed fact that I'm one of the busiest people in podcasting at the minute. Uh, you can <laughs> find me on Twitter at ScottMathone1886. You can follow Scott and Paul's Round Podcast, which... Uh, this week turns three years old uh, at SP Rambling, and we're celebrating that with the first episode of our new series, uh, From the Vault, using Paul's uh, extensive wrestling VHS collection to choose a classic peer review for us to review. We're starting with SummerSlam 1992, a show that I'd only ever seen the main event of, so the, I watched it in full for the first time ever. So hopefully you guys should check that out. If you're if you are a fan of Project Dits and Rogue Pines, then you'll like the fact that I had, as I mentioned, Dits on the next two weeks of the Rogue Retro Smackdown review, the first two episodes 
of 2000. Uh, also, if you're a fan of quizzes, then not only have we got plenty of quizzes in our back catalogue, but we are going to be hosting a few weeks' time, at least I will be, on Rogapines, a TV quiz tournament where Team Rogapines, led by Nathan, takes on Team FTTV, led by David Campbell. And the winner of that will face go to the finals to face the winner of Team ESSR versus Team Big Picture. Uh, I believe that's their name. I can't remember sometimes. And speaking of quizzes, in a couple of weeks' time on ESSR's YouTube channel, I will be hosting the latest instalment of Quiz Showdown, Quiz Showdown 5, The Quiz Powers Explode. That's the subtitle I've given it. Where my sick mind thinks of five very difficult wrestling rounds to torture the rest of ESSR. And it was my Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, make sure you follow all that over there. Also, follow me at uh, on Twitter, at Mr. Riot. That's M-R-R-I-0-T, because Counter-Strike was a thing when I was a kid. And also, Pro Wrestling Magic. Uh, our last show, hashtag This Is Magic, is now up on our YouTube channel. That is YouTube.com slash Pro Wrestling Magic. Wrestling Magic on the Twitter. We have another show called Battle Brunch coming up on November 21st. It is our big premiere on the Fight Network. Fight uh, if you have the Fight app or anything, we are going to be on Fight. I believe the show is $9.99. It'll be at 3 p.m. East Coast time. So nice and early for you guys over in the U.K. Nice and early uh, for everybody, really, because it is a brunch that prim- primarily takes place around a brunch, a battle that takes place around a brunch. Um, as you can tell, I'm running out of steam here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but, yeah, make sure to follow us here at Rogue Opinions. The Nerdo, the Nerdo Network trucks along uh, so make sure to go over there, nerdornetwork.com, and uh, do all the rest. But for now, I guess really the only thing to say is thank you, but bye-bye. <laughs>